0: Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Julio. Julio, what say you? I say, hey, what's going on? Did you wake up and scream that from your window? <laughs> I, can't, I what, what are the lyrics to that song? You, no, you had to take a deep breath and get real high before you say what's going on.
1: You had to find my top hat. Yeah. That's what, that's what she was wearing, right?
0: Uh yeah, four non-blonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always thought that song was Melissa Etheridge for some reason until I was promptly put in my place by a friend at a bar. <laughs> uh, was it
1: uh w- Were you put in your place by a Melissa Etheridge fan or a four non Blondes fan?
0: Four non Blondes. Like they they just they took a great umbrage with the uh, my I-, I thought honest mistake, but you know I was I was young and dumb once. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are here marching on, continuing the quest of Winona, the hashtag Winona Virus 2020, ride or die. The summer of Winona Rider has brought us to our first stop following our um, our midway point. Yeah. Take, taking us back to 2011. Now, will this be our most recent uh inclusion with the exception of um stranger things so our most recent movie will this be the most recent one uh
1: for the summer overall uh no because we have Homefront coming up next month and that's after i think that's 2013 or 2014
0: okay wait is that the one with james franco
1: and jason statham
0: my god all right (laughs) i forgot uh, of the entirety of what i signed up for here so uh but the year is 2011 winona ryder Fresh off her uh, small yet uh, important part in Black Swan, she went to she flexed a bit of a dark muscle in that movie. And for this one here, she uh, pivoted her funny bone as it's the uh, 2011 Ron Howard. um, Would you call this a family romp or is this more of like a romantic comedy date night movie? Uh,
1: I think it falls in between because it depends on the family
0: and it depends on the date. For the family, I mean, we, we're talking like, you know, the, the kids are 13 and eh, probably you might want to be uh, 14 and 16 or so going with the parents because you do have uh, you have a man ass and you do have one fuck in this movie. So
1: are they uh, I mean, are the parents having a talk, like a serious talk with the kids after about just how relationships are complicated and well, I guess you could argue that the movie does that already
0: how not all Vietnamese massage parlors (laughs) whack you off at the end of your massage (laughs) yeah it's a it's an interesting cut for sure it's a deep cut it's a very fascinating uh entry in Ron Howard's I mean monolithic filmography so uh, I came into this fresh I just watched this movie a few hours ago and I'm I'm looking forward to jump in jumping into it but of course before we do so uh, first and foremost, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, we thank you for listening. If you're a returning listener, appreciate you all too. Bear with us here while we go over our gimmick for our new listeners. Uh, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh. Make a case for maybe why it shouldn't be. On the opposite side of that coin, find a movie that is uh, typically 30% or below a nasty green splotch known as Rotten Make a case for its positive merit, being that The Dilemma is at 24% on the old RT. We're going to be talking about maybe why the critics misunderstood this one.
1: I'm going to point out every single thing that Ron Howard and his stellar cast do right.
0: A-listers all the way. Um, Yeah,
1: I mean, you start with Clint (laughs) Howard and then you just, (laughs) you never stop.
0: And if you want to know how we really feel about the movie, stick around for the second portion of the podcast, the aptly titled A Real Talk also, if this is your first time listening, the summer of Winona is not, um, our over 120, 30 episodes are not all Winona Ryder movies. This is a, <laughs> this is a specialty, uh, that we, we sometimes tackle, um, certain actors or themes in movies. And this being the case for the summer of 2020, the summer of Winona. Yeah. But before we get into the rigmarole of it all, Julio, I see you, uh. Wearing your dunce cap, it sounds like you were shamed publicly on uh, Twitter.
1: Yes, the good thing is that it proves that people are listening. Not even just listening; they're paying attention, so they can uh, call us out whenever we we make a blunder. And the blunder was made uh, <laughs> as as we hit the the midpoint of the summer of Winona, and we got we got so caught up in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and talking about Francis Ford Coppola's career. Um, And I would say in my defense, I did say that I was not as familiar with his filmography as with other uh, filmmakers uh, that are his contemporaries. But I mistakenly said multiple times (laughs) that Cosmopolis was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, going as far as saying that uh, I watched maybe half of it before falling asleep, so I couldn't really say if it was good or not. That last part is true, but it turns out that as uh, our good friend from Spit and Polish, Ryan, pointed out... Cosmopolis was actually uh, directed by David Cronenberg, who has turned out to be more prolific than Coppola in the long run.
0: I'm also disappointed I didn't call you out on that. Jason X's <laughs> uh, David Cronenberg, by the way. Yes,
1: I was gonna with The Flies, David Cronenberg, but Jason X is probably
0: more more popular. contemporary, more modern crowd. You
1: know. Yes, the, the crowd police are Jason X. So uh, it doesn't mean. I mean. <laughs> The, the main point remains, which is Cosmopolis actually,
0: is boring. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that, that's still to be decided. Like I said, I was tired. But Francis Ford Coppola hasn't really made anything that has been uh, even close to being mainstream since... Uh, when I looked it up this time, not recalling from memory, just so I get it right, he did... Jack with Robin Williams. Then he did The Rainmaker with Matt Damon and Danny DeVito. And uh-huh. then there's like three or four movies that it's like, well, I don't remember hearing about it. Uh, and like I told you, Alex, he has an announced movie called Megalopolis. And that might be <laughs> something that subconsciously I just associated with. But anyway, if you've seen any of those uh, low-key, fairly recent Coppola releases from the last you know decade even two decades, I guess, let us know. Because I'm very curious if they feel like Francis Ford Coppola movies, if they they feel like, I don't know, like he's experimenting now. I don't know. I'm sure that the one thing is uh, they won't feel like Cronenberg movies. So when you watch Cosmopolis, keep that in mind.
0: I was talking to my dad about Bram Stoker's Dracula over the weekend. He did not know it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And as I'm learning right now, Francis Ford Coppola was the producer of American Graffiti. I did not know that.
1: Yeah, they're all they're all a tight-knit group. I, I'm trying to remember which... Uh, I might have been that Spielberg documentary that HBO had a while ago where uh, it had footage of basically all the greats just hanging out at a Denny's when they were just getting started. It was like Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola. Um, I don't remember if was Scorsese was there. De Palma was there for sure.
0: The Rat Pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, Polanski was on his way out the door without having paid. He was just <laughs> trying to flee the scene. <laughs> Uh, American Graffiti, produced by Francis Ford Coppola, but starring uh, Ron Howard, who would later go on to be a director, uh, making his directorial debut. Fantastic
1: in transition. I am in awe.
0: 1984, 5, maybe, with the classic Night Shift. Would fast forward several years to 2011 with The Dilemma. As brings us here, not just starring Winona Ryder, not just starring Jennifer Conley, not just starring Kevin James, not just starring Vince Vaughn, but also Channing Tatum and receiving the uh, perennial and credit her her career signature, Queen Latifah. So (laughs) we're dealing with a murderer's row here. So the release was January. uh, Let's see here. I mean, you're already off to a bad start with the, the January.
1: January where good movies go to die.
0: It, it was January 14th of 2011 when The Dilemma dropped into theaters, again directed by Ron Howard, written by Alan uh, Loeb, Luby, Lucy, <laughs> I don't know, making a return to the podcast after um, Here Comes the Boom.
1: Is this our third Kevin James movie now? Yes. He's entering the, the Ben Affleck ranks.
0: Yeah, no. he. I think uh, I think this is going to quell our James ratio, or quota, rather, for uh, the duration of The the Contrarians, no matter how long it lasts. Because <laughs> I can't think of any other movie of his I'd really want to sit through again. That being said, I do really like Here Comes the Boom, and when we'll get to real talk, I definitely have some feelings about this movie. But for the purposes of Contrarian Corner, we're dealing with a 24%er here, Julio. So the critics uh, weren't exactly, you know... Uh, setting fireworks off out in the street. They weren't exactly, you know, fawning over themselves for this.
1: No. uh, There's a lot. I I actually, because sometimes I'll get the quotes pretty early on. I don't have to go through all of them. This time I went through all of them because I was looking for at least one critic that mentioned Winona Ryder in their quote, this being Mm -hmm. The Summer of Winona. Uh, Did not find it on the negative side. There's one that mentions on the positive side, thankfully. So we'll get there on the second half of the show. But right now... Uh, we'll start with Mike Scott from Times-Picayune, who says... There are lucklusters <laughs> Might be. Uh, there are lacklusters. movies Vince Vaughn can charm into being better. There are mediocre scripts Ron Howard can will some life into. The dilemma just isn't one of them. Christian Toto from What Would Toto Watch said, The only thing missing from this light comedy of misunderstandings is Mr. Furley and a scene set in The Regal Beagle. Were you a big uh, Three's Company Fan Alex, because I was. I think I mentioned it in the in the show. Yeah, before. I
0: know you have, but no, I, that went right over my head.
1: <laughs> that's that's how it feels whenever you talk wrestling to me. There you go. But yeah, the Regal Beagle was the the bar where the you know they were regulars at. You know, it was their Cheers, and Mr. Furley was Don Knotts, the landlord. Oh, okay. And, and you know, Three's Company. Every other episode, there was some sort of wacky misunderstanding that could be easily fixed. By somebody just saying the right thing, but of course you know you had to expand it. Uh, Marshall Fine from Hollywood and Fine says suffers oh, from the God
0: boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: he says suffers from the mistaken impression that it's a comedy. Instead, it's merely a template for a comedy handed to a group of people who obviously had no idea what to do with it. I think that everybody here has a track record that proves that they know what to do with a template for a comedy.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jennifer Connelly was in Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> which God bless her. She's such a talented actress, but that's one of those movies that just like stay has stayed with me forever. Anytime I see her, like that's, I just remember how bad things got for her in that movie.
1: Well, it's meant to stay with you forever, though. You know, don't do drugs, kids.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll end up, uh, Nah, let's not go there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you'll end up pining after Vince Vaughn, who does not deserve you.
0: At best, that's how you'll end up.
1: <laughs> um, Elliot Noble from Sky Cinema says this is a sort of setup that would have been perfectly nailed in a single episode of Friends. Difference would have been that uh, Queen Latifah wouldn't have been part of it.
0: No, maybe. No friends doesn't take anything seriously enough. We have like multiple Oscar clips in this movie and there's never been any like really true good acting on friends. Oh, that is, that is harsh. Said it. Bruce Willis was good on friends.
1: (laughs) That's, that's even harsher. I think (laughs) (laughs) not the main cast, just a a, a guy that's known for not having cared for over 20 years, I think, (laughs) but he just, he happens to be the highlight. Um, and finally, because we always have to have one of these, Roger tennis from cinemaclips.com says, finding humor in this humorless situation is the dilemma.
0: The Hollywood and fine or whatever was still worse than that. Even without
1: a pun. No. Uh, well, as you might have noticed, dear listeners, if you've been keeping up with the Summer of Winona, no clip, uh, no clip on this half and spoiler alert, no clip on... Uh, the second half, because even though I put out the call, nobody wanted to either watch or re watch this movie <laughs> in order to give it a uh, give us a clip. But don't worry, Run Tomatoes came to the rescue.
0: Rendered everyone laconic. It's just such an overpowering movie that everyone was rendered speechless by it. And much like Requiem for a Dream, it's one that people don't that's a Pandora's box that people don't want to open back up. they you know, the flood of emotions that'll come back from it.
1: They've been buried them so deep, they're afraid of what's gonna happen when I mean, 2011, it's been almost 10 years. So that shit's been uh, festering inside you, (laughs) your resentment over the way that uh, some characters are treated here.
0: So uh, as I mentioned, the main thing to call out from the opening credits of this movie is Queen Latifah gets the end credit, which I think was her... uh, I'm not sure of a movie she didn't get the end credit for from like 2008 to 2012, maybe. There was like that four-year period where you know she was the the fifth year senior that just got all the props from everybody on all the projects she took part in
1: she uh um, so she got the 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 oscar nomination uh, i don't think she won right for chicago i don't remember when was that but i wonder if that's when she got the you know moved into the the and club or if that's what got her out of the and club and into just well, she, being Chicago
0: a, uh, certainly would have been before this. I think she was just such a respected titan of the industry at this point that the respect had to be paid.
1: Yeah, you're an Oscar winner. You get the end credit. If you're Queen Latifah, you get it, even if you only have two scenes in the movie. <laughs> uh
0: So we start off with a couple's date. Our respective couples are Jennifer Conley and Vince Vaughn and Kevin James and the woman of the hour, The the – feature attraction of this summer, Winona Ryder, and they're just buddies. Uh, but before we go into that, Julio, one other thing, not just the uh, after the actor credits were through, the and Queen Latifah, did you notice who did the score for this movie?
1: No, I didn't.
0: Uh, Hans Zimmer. You know, you got uh, Gladiator, you got uh, Inception, The Dark Knight, basically, you know, the whole Nolan roll call, and then you got The Dilemma. Which I, I truthfully I didn't notice too much of the score in this movie, but I think that just speaks to Hans Zimmer's brilliance of how understated it was.
1: Yeah, you you could have. This is definitely the kind of movie that could be where you could go over the top with the score because, like you said, there's a lot of Oscar moments. You could just really, really dig into the 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 power of the music can add to a scene. But I think that that that's awesome that Zimmer restrained himself to the point that it's his work is unrecognizable. <laughs> that's not everybody can do that
0: he doesn't have he doesn't hit any of his regular beats on this i think this was like um that uh you know neil young had the shocking pink album his rockabilly album kind of his like side hustle that everyone kind of forgets his uh <laughs> his forgotten uh, his hidden gem is the phrase i'm looking for and i think that applies to Hans zimmer the
1: dilemma is everybody's hidden gem if you were involved <laughs> in the dilemma that's the one that that's the b-side that you bring out after most of the people have left the party
0: so your ears are on fire with Hans Zimmer's uh, score here, as we see uh, or as we meet uh, Ronnie and Nick. I believe is Kevin James. Yes, yes. Ronnie and Nick, they they're college buddies. Right off the bat, you know, we're reflecting upon old times. We're joking around. We got some dancing going. I mean, Ron Howard comes at you fast and heavy in the beginning. We're not even five minutes into the movie, and we got Kevin full on Kevin James dancing. We had to wait like forty five minutes and Paul Blart to get that.
1: <laughs> yeah. When he finally dances in Hitch, which was something that they had teased uh, in the trailer for Hitch, I'm sure you remember, uh, it was pretty underwhelming. I think maybe because they just run the joke to the ground during the trailers. Here, you had no idea that you were in for this. And I think if, maybe even if they showed you a trailer, you are so... Uh, it takes a while for your mind to process. In awe of how he
0: landed Winona Ryder.
1: Exactly. Yes, that's probably my favorite aspect of the movie is how they the movie uh, messes with your head the entire time regarding the, the Kevin James on writer situation. Because, yeah, th- your first reaction is, like, how did that happen? And then eventually you settle in, oh, well, that's because it's a movie, right? And that's, that's what movies do. But then after a while, the movie makes you realize that, well, no, what you would think would happen in, in, in this scenario uh, in real life happens in the movie, and, and, and we'll get there. But basically, let's just say that you can't be Kevin James, land Winona Ryder, and then rest in your laurels.
0: (laughs) I was just about to say rest on your laurels. Yeah. You can't – yeah. You got to – you know, speaking of Neil Young, you can't just fucking play uh, Sugar Mountain or Cortez the Killer over and over (laughs) again if you're Kevin James. You got to dig deep into your bag of tricks.
1: You have to be uh, – here comes the boom Kevin James. Yes. nonstop, 24-7. That's that's the <laughs> price you pay for, for being married to Winona Ryder.
0: You have to be a player on NBA Jam that scored three times in a row, and the ball is smoking in your hand. You have to be <laughs> on fire just constantly. So, Kevin James, Winona Ryder, married in this movie, uh, Nick and uh, Geneva. And then on the other side of this uh, dilemmic equation, we have Vince Vaughn, again, Ronnie, and Jennifer Conley as Beth. Nick. And Geneva are married, whereas Ronnie and Beth are uh, just a couple. But the sparks are there. Uh, It's called out several times quickly into the movie that he needs to go ahead and propose to her. They even talk about it following this night at the bar. They go back to his massive Chicago apartment and play ping pong and even manages to work in a Floyd Mayweather dig, which I appreciated. (laughs) Did you recognize that name when he said that?
1: I I knew he was a boxer.
0: (laughs) Hey, there you go. That's, (laughs) That's at least a... Uh, so his joke was, "You're dancing around me. It's like playing Floyd Mayweather, where like the Floyd Mayweather's skill set as a box. He's always been a defensive boxer. Uh, he's amazing to watch, but people criticize him for not being uh, offensive and very exciting. He doesn't really knock people out too often. Um, so it was just a smart assumed, reference.
1: I assumed that whenever uh, uh Floyd Mayweather wins a fight, he does a little dance. That was my <laughs> assumption." <laughs> I kinda got it. It
0: okay, still worked. Yeah.
1: I, yes. I did laugh. Um there you go. She's she's too cool for him, though. It's the same setup as Winona and Kevin James because this is, and I think they actually call him out. This is by now, this is not uh Vince Vaughn from Swingers. This is Vince Vaughn in his 40s. He
0: is Fred Claus.
1: Yeah, this is Fred Claus, Vince Vaughn. He he needs to settle down if he wants to 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 land a nice girl. And I don't think it gets. <laughs> any nicer than uh, Jennifer Connelly in this movie. She is. She puts up with this bullshit. She is incredibly supportive. She's super cool. Does not put any pressure on him about the relationship. All the, re- all, the, all the pressure about getting married is in his head and coming from his friends. So that's, that's the beauty of it. Because we can see that she's too cool for him. He fears that she's too cool for him. And... Basically, one when the the relationship he idolizes, which is the one of uh, Kevin James and Winona Ryder, when that relationship starts falling apart, well, of course, it's going to make him feel insecure about his own relationship. So, uh, yeah. I think that that's that's smarter than most people and most critics certainly were uh, giving the movie credit for.
0: So, Nick and Ronnie, friends in real life, but they're also business partners. They're attempting to enter this venture in which they um, they sell. Uh, or basically, they they figure out the technology to provide an electric engine inside of old model vehicles. Uh, basically, citing that you know the look of electric vehicles, uh, as it were, is not the most exciting. Which I agree with. You ever see like a Tesla or something? I'm just why <laughs> I'd much rather just drive a fucking Volkswagen van. But um,
1: I mean, I think that you can you can, and that's what they're trying to do. You can meet halfway there between the people that like the big, loud, like, hey, I'm going to make a lot of noise and create a lot of, uh, get a lot of attention when I'm driving, you know, those type of cars. And the people that like the uh, environment-friendly, quiet, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to kind of like, pass past you <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in my hybrid uh, type of cars. So and he's like, you can have a car that's uh, environmentally friendly, but also want a, a car that just makes you feel like you know, like you're growing chest hair as you're driving it. And, you know, uh, I don't know if this was next on your bullet points, Alex, but I I do not want to, like, uh, shy away from just how this is not, as you like to say, this is not your dad's Ron Howard. This is Ron Howard kind of just delving deeper and darker, and the fact that he just has his protagonist making controversial gay jokes in the first reel of the movie, maybe... That's not what you would expect from him.
0: So before we get there, uh, so yeah, as Julio has gotten to, they do have a, a pitch meeting with some execs at a, I can't remember if it was Dodge. I don't even know if they name what the vehicle company is. For legal purposes, that's probably for the best. Uh, but the, we meet Queen Latifah here. But before we get there, on their cab ride over to their meeting, did you at all pick up on the Kevin James theme here?
1: The the Miracle hockey thing
0: so they uh, they play Detroit Rock City by Kiss on the way over which I'm pretty sure has been featured in both of the other Kevin James movies we've done I know for a fact he sings he sings at karaoke in uh, Paul Blart I want to say it's in here comes the boom but I'm not sure it must be Kevin James's favorite song or something I'm pretty sure they used it on King of Queens at some point Um, (laughs) that song's really (laughs) fucked up by the way that's not a good song to like have as your favorite song it's like, have you ever listened to it or do you know anything about it?
1: I just know. I recognize it when it comes on. Uh, a little bit of cool. real
0: talk for you. It's essentially about a guy that gets, like, he's really excited and he's going to party and he gets drunk before this concert and he, on the way there he dies because he's drunk and he wrecks his car. So, for... Is the video
1: uh, Eminem reading his letter? Yeah,
0: it, It's certainly not uh, your dad, your grandpa's kiss song. It's not rock and roll all <laughs> night and party every day. It's... Uh, <laughs> But I just found that as soon as the riff picked up, I was like, wait a minute. I've I've been in this situation with Kevin James before. (laughs) So Detroit Rock City carries us into the internal of the cab where uh, they talk about uh, Ronnie getting engaged to Beth. And he talks about, yeah, I'm going to buy a ring. And this is where we find out that Ronnie is a recovering gambler because he mentions that he met a guy and hilariously, it's a Hasidic man that he met in Gambler's Anonymous that's going to sell him a $20,000 ring for $10. So just keep that in your back pocket. Um, If you've got like a work shirt on, just tuck it into the front pocket there with your pen. (laughs) Just remember that Vince Vaughn's got a gambling problem in this movie. So they get to uh, the meeting and when pitching their idea, as Julio mentioned – We have, um, I think he does his best to distinguish it's not a homophobic rant when uh, he calls electric cars gay. He makes allusions to, you know, uh, belt up to your, uh, you know, over your stomach, um, chaperone at the school dance. He basically tries to use the word gay like a seventh or eighth grader would in a business meeting. Which uh, as gregarious as Vince Vaughn is and is charming and is enchanting, even for him, I think this is uh, he's shown a little too much ass.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, but but see, this is what I appreciate, which is that that's the kind of sequence that opens up a conversation because uh, it's not is not directly aggressive towards the gay community or towards homophobes. But it just it just gets you started on. Uh, I think that uh, the people that would take offense about it, you know, would take offense from it, and the people who wouldn't understand why anybody would take offense from it, this is a starting point. You get a charming young man, or a charming man in his 40s, like Vince Vaughn.
0: He's a young <laughs> okay. man.
1: I mean... He doesn't yes. look it, but he is. <laughs> uh, he's a he's rock where we can all agree that this is good, so this is where we start. And from there... There's a dialogue. Too much of, of today's society is about just the moment that you are offended, you just cut the conversation off. But here was Ron Howard trying to use a comedy, a dark comedy about relationships and infidelities uh, to also expand the conversation to other areas.
0: Stew on it. So uh, instead of you know following that, going down that rabbit hole, not even rabbit hole, just following that path, that fork in the road, that end pass, he... Uh, Hits you with like a, a 90 degree angle, not quite a 180, but it's just like boom, like a veer off a hard right, as I've said before, in that Queen Latifah is like the stifler character in this movie <laughs> like you don't expect her to be. But she's like the raunchy, inappropriate, um, very phallic, heavy uh, side character that was, you know, very popularized at the turn of millennium and movies like American Pie and Road Trip. Essentially, she's the turn-of-millennium Sean William Scott in The Dilemma. Hey, and representation matters, man. I, it does. And she I, talks I, about Ladywood, uh, which yeah. I had never heard that expression before, and i going to be honest, I don't hate it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly a, a refreshing spin on on just a trope of a character by now. You know, like you said, the oversexed, uh, the oversexed white man that that all he can do is talk in double entendres and just be very sexually overt. Seen seen that over it, but Queen Latifah making those kind of jokes, I'm there. I, the only you- thing
0: we were missing was Queen Latifah going, "I know what's next, Vegas." <laughs> <laughs> That's the post credit scene. Actually, you gotta hang around for it. So. Ronnie is preparing the, the arrangements for proposing to Beth. He goes to like this botanical garden. We get our um, obligatory, uh, in many ways, mandatory Clint Howard cameo here. And uh, he's he runs the gardens or whatnot. And he just tells him, you know, stay off the plants, yada, yada, yada. He uh, wanders off because he's trying to prepare something. I think he's checking to see if they have like a, an outlet for his iPod or some shit. Yeah. And then we see uh, Miss Winona Ryder. Uh, wandering around the premises with uh, a a wild Channing Tatum appears and just looking as disheveled and still fine as the day is long. And uh, Vince Vaughn kind of from afar, he solid snakes and sneaks around and, you know, keeps an eye on him and finds them kissing. And of course this naturally provides him with a moral dilemma. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but not. Of, we have to remember this is a comedy, of course. So Clint Howard catches him peeping Tom and says, what are you doing? Get down. And he slips and falls face first into a pile of plants. And we then find out that those plants are poisonous.
1: So, uh, I'm surprised that he didn't fall sooner because that kiss is a whopper. The-
0: Dude, they go in. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure like Ron Howard had already called cut, but like <laughs> going into it, I think it was one of those things of like um, they just looked at each other. Like, you look like you, and I look like me. There's no reason we shouldn't get the most out of this.
1: Uh, that is that is either fantastic acting, or just
0: the luck un- of
1: Ron Howard, of just being able to capture that moment of pure lust, like actual lust.
0: Unadulterated, just uh, machismo, just carnal <laughs> passion. And yeah. I mean, to be fair, it, that's a, like good for both of them. In either yeah. that situation, sucking face with Winona Ryder or Channing Tatum, it's win-win.
1: Yeah, I, I was just very happy that uh, that it felt genuine. It's such an important plot point that I needed to believe it and they went for it. Winona was oh, kissing absolutely. Channing Tatum, not just like, oh I'm kissing Channing Tatum, but it's also like
0: I'm having an affair.
1: I'm kissing Channing Tatum after having kissed Kevin James for, you know, I don't know how long they've been married, but
0: it's like um the wedding singer when they talk about how you're supposed to kiss on the altar, not porno tongue. <laughs> yes. This is porno tongue. <laughs>
1: There's the buildup. I know I can't stop talking about it, but it's because I remember watching the trailer before I even watched the movie all back in the day and the trailer showed you the kiss and me thinking that that kiss was unsettling because I, that was my first, I guess experience watching when our writers an adult. And I was like, that's not how she kissed Ethan Hawke. <laughs> this is, <laughs> she's this all grown up. Kiss. Yeah.
0: Now. Uh, so Vince Vaughn naturally is very off put by this, uh, And it's already starting to shoot up red flags because he doesn't want to tell anybody. He can't bring himself to even tell Beth, which... uh, So she's suspicious. Like, how the fuck did you get this rash? And then he's explaining to it, and the giant wad of cash he was going to use to buy the engagement ring falls out. And she's like, why are you carrying this cash around? And Vince Vaughn, you know, uh, he talks like a fucking speed addict or a coke addict normally. (laughs) So when under any sort of duress, it's just going to, you know, um, exacerbate all that. So... uh, Beth is already suspicious of what's going on. He's haunted by this. He goes to see Nick the next day um, as they're working on the cars and he can't bring himself to tell him. This is basically uh, where the dilemma has a dilemma because he's already got the problem of telling him. But then he realizes if he tells him right now, it'll derail all their progress of what they're working on. So he's dealing with the the guilt of having this information. But then on top of it, the guilt of not telling him to try to yield positive results from him. And he knows the whole situation of the the car and the deadline and the progress is weighing on him. Uh, one of the parts I actually like legitimately uh, belly laughed at. Contrarian's Corner, real talking. There were like four parts in this movie where I like legit belly laughed at something boisterously. And he, uh, I guess, he has an ulcer or something. And he asks him, he's he's like drinking a bottle of like you know <laughs> Pepsi or something. And he's like uh, the ulcer acting up. And he's like, oh no, this medicated chalky shit. Really refreshing.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, Kevin James is not really uh, being super comical in this movie. Uh, because he's really he's, not. Yeah, he he's just so stressed through most of the runtime. Uh, other than the dancing sequence that we mentioned in the opening, most of the time he's just miserable. Uh, and he still manages to be funny, but he's not doing the, the Kevin James stuff. You know, he's not. Uh, he's not. He's having still funny, falls. just not
0: ha ha funny. <laughs>
1: Well, he's not with the usual, he's not King of Queens, uh, Paul Blart, Kevin James. Uh, no. It, there's there's an intensity to his character that I actually enjoy.
0: He's Gil from The Simpsons. He's always a little bit sweaty and a little bit stressed out, and life's already, it's weighing on him a bit too hard. So Vince Vaughn has no one to talk about the situation, so naturally he just strikes up a convo with a few patrons at a bank when he's going to deposit some money, and makes a bunch of sports analogies, uh, specifically to basketball, about, you know... Well, if he knew his wife was cheating on him, you tell him. It's like, well, it depends on what the game is, and so you know the real world gets it. It's all a matter of sports analogies.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just glad that Donald Howard was smart enough to give us that sequence and the sequence that follows to really make sure that we're all on the same page and we we all understood why he hadn't told Kevin James, because if you don't understand why he hasn't told Kevin James, the rest of the movie doesn't doesn't work. No, you're just gonna spend the next hour screaming just tell him (laughs) but
0: oh no it's brilliant yeah because you you understand like all aspects of his dilemma at that point of it's game seven yeah there you go uh so from the discussion of basketball to the sport of hockey we transition to uh chicago blackhawks game that they attend i believe they play at the united center if i'm not mistaken yes they do and Gonna be completely honest, Winona Ryder and Jennifer Conley in hockey jerseys was doing something for me, uh, and I'm not even a Blackhawks guy. Those were Dallas Stars jerseys, put the kids to bed. Um... So this actually really caught me by surprise that I expected the movie to at least like cycle through a few more comedic hijinks or like awkwardness before this. Vince Vaughn just straight up confronts her. She gets up to go buy a beer and he just gets up and he's like, What the hell are you doing? Just walks up to her and gives her all kinds of shit about it. Um, and basically just comes at her like with, you know, a fuck you attitude, like, how could you do this, this type of thing? And then Winona just I wouldn't say she was prepared for it. She's definitely shocked at first, but then she just like claps back at him. It's like, you don't understand what the fuck it's like to be married. And she's like, (laughs) uh, you know, Nick hasn't had sex with me in six months. And she mentions that he goes and gets handies from the Vietnamese massage parlor. And, you can tell Vince Vaughn is still going to stick to his guns and he's still very much convinced that he's in the right but this definitely throws him for a loop.
1: Yeah, she did not fall apart the way that he thought that, that she
0: was going to. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like I'm and Vince that's what Vaughn. surprised I'm, me too. I'm a giant and the writer is tiny and she's in the wrong because she's cheating so of course she's going to fold and instead she she manages to buy herself some time uh, which was pretty impressive considering uh because at this point, I mean, I would imagine most of the people watching, especially if you're a guy, you are on, on Vince Vaughn's side the entire time. So you you want everything to come out in the open. But she manages to make an argument that makes sense to where he basically agrees to not tell her, not tell Kevin James and let her tell him, but not right away because he needs after to the finish card. the work. And yeah,
0: after the work is concluded.
1: And, and you know, she's just not going to see Channing Tatum anymore. And, yeah you know they know each other they, they they've known each other for years so so he he goes along with it and and you can't blame him it's like if you were in that position you'd probably do the same
0: well and from the perspective of the movie also it really uh genuinely surprised me because it goes from being like a dude movie like yeah dudes to um proposing that it's not black and white there's it's like a sh- it's like a smear of gray like the situation is not exactly what it seems and that you know, uh, yeah, I'm in the wrong, but I have reasons for doing what I'm doing. It's not like the it's not it doesn't slut shamer basically is the phrase I'm looking for.
1: Right, because let's be honest, the movie didn't need to give Winona Ryder extra reasons to to hook up with Channing Tatum when she's married to Kevin James. <laughs> you didn't need to explain it, right? But but they go ahead and, and make it more complex.
0: They had rammed as much gunpowder in the cannon as possible. <laughs> uh, so Kevin James. We get some like side conversations. He said he's disappointed that Ronnie hasn't proposed to Beth yet. Uh, Ronnie asks Nick, like you ever get massages? And uh, Nick is very um, precocious about the discussion and very uh, secretive about it. So naturally all of Vince Vaughn's paranoia at this point, um, I think he wants to see that she's right just to kind of weigh out the two sides. So he follows uh, Kevin James to some Vietnamese massage parlor, Uh, in downtown Chicago. And he doesn't confront him about him, but he confirms that he's lying about where he is. He calls me. He's like, where are you? He's like, oh, I'm back at home, Mad Men Marathon. And so Vince Vaughn knows at this point that Geneva is not lying about... I mean,
1: we never really find out if, uh, if Kevin James is actually getting uh hand jobs at that place <laughs> but the evidence doesn't you know circumstances he's confronted evidence.
0: with it at the end of the movie and he definitely does nothing to refute it yeah he just does the Psh, what <laughs> so Ronnie then tells uh Geneva hey I you know you weren't lying but she's with Channing Tatum again zip is his name in the movie and so he freaks out about that he's like I thought you were gonna break it off and this is where we get the one fuck in the movie. He says something like, well, fucking, you don't fucking have to or something. It caught me by surprise. I had to go check. I was like, wait, is this movie R? Um, so Winona writers like, well, no, you're not going to tell him because, you know, we need to talk first. So they meet up at this coffee shop. And like, this scene is so awesome just of like how vindictive Winona Ryder uh, Geneva character is, we find out uh, that they had hooked up in college before she even met Nick before she, Kevin James was even part of the equation. So she holds that over uh, his head, but then she like is like you're not going to tell him because if you do, I'm just going to tell him that you've been making passes at me and that you know you've been trying to hook up with me. And then she starts crying and starts saying what she would tell him, and it's and Vince Vaughn is just sitting there like me like with my mouth open like oh my god. <laughs> Women are awesome, like with their <laughs> their emotional manipulation and their ability to just turn it on. But my notes just say Winona annihilates Ronnie. She does. She's just like you're a fucking loser. No one's gonna believe you if you say anything. It's a total power move by her, and it's an awesome scene. Um,
1: it was reminiscent of uh, the the Edward Norton uh, clip that they showed at the Oscars for Birdman, where um, <laughs> he's acting the scene for Michael Keaton the the you know, the scene from their play, but then when the scene is over he just looks up at him and smiles and goes ah, wasn't that good because here <laughs> winona ends her her pretend uh confession after she's crying and she just she doesn't smile she just goes like see i can fuck you over if i want to it's uh, yeah she
0: like s- sniffs and like stops her tears and she just kind of like looks at him like checkmate
1: so this is uh this is so far the most villainous winona writer we've had this summer um we've always been rooting for her one way or another. And uh, even when she was doing things that that were not cool, we still kind of wanted her to
0: to (laughs) prevail. Like the entire movie Lost Souls?
1: (laughs) Well, that's on a very meta (laughs) version uh, of the argument. But here, this is just, she's still a complex character, but she is uh, definitely more of a villain after this scene. And I appreciate it because I think that ron howard and uh the screenwriter alan loeb they probably they looked at winona's career and they realized that it was time to play this sort of variation of the character we've done up till now we've done six winona Ryder movies and in three of those movies she is duplicitous towards men uh you have mr deeds where she fakes caring for adam sandler in order to take take advantage of him Um uh, you have uh, uh, Reality Bites, where she's basically dating Ben Stiller and Ethan Hawke at the same time. And and then you have, just the last episode, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where she's cheating on Keanu Reeves with, uh, with vampire Gary Oldman. Uh, here, this is the first time it, it, this summer, and maybe the first time in her entire career, where she is, once again basically she's with Kevin James and with Channing Tatum at the same time but we're not supposed to be on her side she's finally the villain it must have been pretty refreshing for winona to be able to just play it as somebody who's not asking to be sympathetic about it uh, and also just for the audiences to finally be like oh this is going on and i'm aff- it's okay for me to be mad at her <laughs> <laughs>
0: This segues into what, in my opinion, is Vince Vaughn's Oscar clip. After all this, he's sitting on a bench on the streets of Chicago, and he has like he literally talking to God, uh, you know, about he doesn't know what to do, and this whole and he starts crying, which like (laughs) I know we've done we've done like single tier Vince Vaughn before, but we've never done like quivering lip, voice cracking Vince Vaughn before. So this was range with a capital R. I think was uh, what was on the script here. And uh, I, I don't know. W- w- was there anything else you had dog-eared as the Oscar clip in the movie? Uh, well, there's... Or it, Vince Vaughn's Oscar clip, I should say.
1: I mean, you mentioned earlier, once you get to the last 20 minutes or so of the movie, it's almost like everybody... Gets gets their chance, like, The spotlight. Oh, dude, is there. yeah, like
0: this is one of the f- few movies we've ever done where like I actually have in my notes what the best picture clip is. It could be used for best picture, or best screenplay <laughs> clip, because uh-huh. like it's not just like one individual powerful performance. It's the it's the sum of its parts.
1: Is it the the intervention? Oh yeah. Okay, we'll we'll get there, but yeah. uh but yeah, no, I I I thought so too. I thought that it was. It's not just that it's it's a good performance from Vince Vaughn and it and that it just shakes you because you didn't see it coming. It's also that the movie very very masterfully is getting darker and darker. It's kind of like what you were saying, you were expecting a, a very specific type of movie based on the trailer and based on the the starting setup of uh, oh it's going to be so funny that he he saw you know, a writer cheating on Kevin James, and now he's not going to know what to do, and, and hijinks ensue. But then very quickly, it turned to something darker, where it becomes very clear that people are getting hurt, and more people are going to get hurt before the end of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't just bring out the tears <laughs> in your average Vince Vaughn comedy. Not like this.
0: No. no yeah, not halfway through the movie like this is you know right before the climax type thing it's a it's a different movie we're dealing with here yeah so queen latifah re-emerges for a moment of exposition in the movie where she explains to vince vaughn uh who eventually uh, parlays that information to uh kevin james that the deal's been rushed up and they have to have you know something to uh present in three days so they're on a three-day notice here and naturally that just adds more stress to the overall situation.
1: She makes exposition colorful by also throwing in a deep throat joke, which I laughed. I, I didn't belly laugh. Oh, that. yeah.
0: She's like, I'm your deep throat. It's a great movie. Have you seen it? And doesn't Vince Vaughn say, what, all the president's yep. men?
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, that made me laugh, but it also just uh, Queen Latifah is just very casual response. She's like, no, deep throat, the movie. And then she's like, it's good. And then they just keep walking, just her... <laughs> it's good that that facial expression was pretty funny.
0: Just so casual. Um, Ronnie knows the, the situation with zip and, uh, Geneva is still going on. So he's going to, uh, do a little bit of blackmail or more of just, I guess to have some concrete proof, he goes and buys a nice camera and, uh, on his way to, he gets a call. He's just becoming all paranoid. He gets a call from a man asking to speak to Beth and uh, le- prefers not to leave a message. And so he's obviously with the situation in hand. He's paranoid that Beth could be committing acts of infidelity as well. So he gets his camera, goes over and stokes out Zips' apartment. Clear body doubles, but <laughs> still pretty provocative for a PG-13 movie. Where well, are you telling of, me that uh, that's
1: not uh, Channing Tatum's ass?
0: I don't think so. Why? I, mean, I haven't seen. I've seen the first Magic Mike. I think he shows his ass. Which one? Has Matthew McConaughey shows his ass. Which one's that? The first one. Okay, yeah, that's the one I've seen. That's just man ass. The movie, pretty much. And
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, it was meant to be.
0: <laughs> man, I, I don't know. It could be Channing Tatum's ass, but whatever the case, yeah, kind of borderline graphic stuff.
1: It's it's pretty steamy. Yeah, M- makes sense because you have to follow up on that kiss that we saw earlier. If they were pretty tame on their sexing now, then it would feel fake.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just basically establishing it's a uh, – I used the word carnal earlier. It's a uh, a very sexual relationship because that's kind of what she's lacking. Passion is the word.
1: She told Vince Vaughn that Kevin James hadn't had sex with her in six months, which, I mean, okay, man, I'm sorry. It's just You don't deserve it. <laughs> if,
0: no, no. That's some – out of all the stuff in this movie that I was like, man, this actually kind of hits close to home or – not home, but more of a – there's a sheen to this that's not just Hollywood bullshit. There's actually some reality to these situations. When she said that, I was like, ah, Hollywood bullshit. <laughs> that, I, I Fucking Rise of Skywalker was more believable than that part of this movie.
1: Um, before before we lose it, though, did you get the feeling I, – I I don't know. I've never been in the position where I have to fucking climb on a tree and, and take peeping Tom pictures of – people having sex through their window. But I got the feeling that this is the kind of thing that these days you, you could just do with your phone. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand. I like the oversellessness of, uh, of Vince Vaughn because I would like to think that even in 2011, you didn't need to buy that kind of camera iPhones were not what they are now, but you could still, you know, he's not taking those pictures for publication. They don't have no. to be HD. It, all, all that needs to happen is Kevin James has to be able to recognize his wife there.
0: I would, I would hope he wasn't planning on like making a portfolio to give to Kevin James.
1: <laughs> he it's can't like... help himself. He, he's a, he's a showman. It's that's, that's part of his job.
0: That, that's your wife, Reverse Cowgirl.
1: <laughs> Look at that smiley tattoo on Channing Tatum's ass, <laughs> perfectly in focus.
0: Look at these abs. You haven't had those ever. <laughs> so this all leads to a Vince Vaughn Channing Tatum fight scene where I think Ron Howard had um, watched a couple of uh, Judd Aptow movies going into this because he basically just whatever was filmed for this fight scene made it <laughs> into the movie. He was just injecting kind of a new age feel to it. Like he knew the audience's had been conditioned. Uh, I believe this is 40 had already come out at this point, uh, or it was right around the corner. But um, funny people had definitely come out. So he, he knew the audiences needed periods of time where the scene just keeps going so they can reset. So he whatever he filmed for this made its way into the movie.
1: But uh, I, I like it. I think it works uh, much better than any Apatow movies because to me... What it brought to mind, the the, uh, and I know I like this movie more than you do, but the the Iron Man versus Hulk fight from Age of Ultron, Mm. where it goes on for a while, but it also happens in stages. Because first, uh, you know, we're not writers out of the picture. And just as Vince Vaughn is collecting his cameras about to go, he gets dragged into the apartment by Channing Tatum. And they have a fight there in the living room. Uh, And then it moves into the bathroom where... uh, Channing Tatum is using his skateboard, I think, to break the door. And then uh, Vince Vaughn comes out with a flamethrower. Uh, he
0: pulls the Rorschach, yeah. kicks the door down <laughs> uh The high point, or I guess the, the, the high spot of this fight, is when he breaks Channing Tatum's aquarium and his fish spill out everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, slow motion. And then they move outside where uh, Channing Tatum is hiding. And Vince Vaughn goes on a rant. And then... When Vince Vaughn's about to leave, Channing Tatum reappears and then gets the upper hand again. So it's it's just like at least four different setups where this fight is happening, where you don't really know who's going to win and and you don't know what the winner is going to do, because by the time that uh, that Vince Vaughn is screaming on the streets that he's going to kill Channing Tatum, I believe him. He he looks unhinged. So he definitely movie, did
0: go insane.
1: Yeah, Ron Howard and and Alan Loeb have done a pretty good job of teaching me that anything goes in this movie. So it could happen. Uh, Vince Vaughn's uh, life could get even worse if he actually murders the guy that's sleeping with his best friend's wife. So uh, I actually like it. it. Does it go on for longer than than average? Yes, but it does while saying something.
0: So the fight finally, mercifully, finally concludes and uh, Vince Vaughn rushes over. The event of the evening is Beth's parents... 40th anniversary dinner, and so he goes in, sees uh, Winona Ryder in there, sees Geneva quickly, um, makes it known that he knows what she's up to, eventually leads to him giving um, this toast about honesty, again, goes on a bit long, but all of this somehow uh, culminates with Beth and um, Ronnie getting in a fight, just because he can't come clean about what's going on, and, you know, he... Uh, admits to some of his paranoia from this call previously. We learn it was a potential business deal for Jennifer Conley. She's worried that, you know, his gambling addictions are going to flare back up again. And heavy lies the crown in this case for Vince Vaughn. And he just, he just know the man who knew too much is, uh, <laughs> that was the working name of this movie is Vince Vaughn just explains, Hey, I'm just going to sleep on the couch at the office.
1: Just he is. He's, making the same mistakes that I guess at some point Kevin James made in his marriage. Uh, Just walking away from a beautiful, smart woman when she's actually making an effort to talk to him about his shit. Because she comes in with the most reasonable position, tone. She's not being confrontational. She's just asking for an explanation because anybody can see that he's just falling apart for some reason. This is, by the way, his speech. That is prime Vince Vaughn, which we we've been getting kind of a much like we did with Kevin James. We've been getting a more intense Vince Vaughn, but this feels like the Vince Vaughn that kind of just riffs a lot in, in a good way. I, this was one of my belly laughs when he, he's using the relationship of, uh, Jennifer Connelly's parents as an example. And he basically implies that, uh, Jennifer Connelly's mom might've cheated on her dad with, uh, with the pool boy. And she's like, if that had happened, I'm not saying it did, but if that had happened, uh, she would have they would have talked about it because honesty is important They should have been like, hey, I have needs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was definitely it was definitely Vince Vaughn 101, just riffing. And you know, we've we've talked about Vince Vaughn ad nauseum on the podcast. Go back to our Fred Claus episode and we just talk about <laughs> that movie is just unadulterated Vince Vaughn for two hours. Close to it here, but at least it's cut with a, a little bit of um other A-listers. Uh, several days later uh, Ronnie returns to Zip's apartment Channing Tatum answers the door with a gun just pointed at his face. Channing Tatum, I think as we learn from the 21 and 22 jump streets I know you're not as crazy about those movies as I am, but I do think he is very good at comedy in the sense of just being the the dumb meathead who, just very dry not droll is not the proper word but you know just one of those guys not much is going on upstairs and with this he's got the gun at him and he keeps like trying to invite him in and he says he googled it and he's like if you're in my house i can shoot you so he's trying to get him in so you got the the comedy of that and then their whole situation he's gonna buy the camera back from him he's like and i'll give you a thousand dollars for your trouble it's a it's a
1: rematch but it's an intellectual rematch i was
0: gonna say instead of a game of fists it's a game of wits yep and um, the issue, though, is Nick had been watching and following Ronnie because he had been suspicious about his uh, behavior and his general temperament. And he finds him and just sees him giving Zip this wad of cash, and naturally he thinks that he's relapsed and that he's gambling again, or if there's you know an issue at hand. Because he also sees him get handed a, a brown paper sack, which universally is probably not. <laughs> not it, it's never idea. a good look. <laughs> no. So after a day of roaming and kind of weighing on things and mulling them over mentally, uh, Ronnie returns home to see an intervention has been set up for him. His sister and brother-in-law are there, uh, his co-worker, uh, of course, Nick and Geneva. And uh, Beth is at the helm of all this. And shockingly, a twist here, Channing Tatum wanders in, (laughs) zip, and Geneva freaks out more than anybody. And, uh, but Nick explains, you know, I read in this pamphlet, it says, you know, your suppliers should come to these things and it's all a massive, uh, you know, mix up. They think that zip is his bookie and then he's making bets. And of course. Channing Tatum doesn't help this at all by just going along with it and saying, you know, you you make bets on everything. Uh, One of my belly laughs of the movie was, again, I don't expect you to really understand the comedy behind this, Julio. But in 2011, it was especially funny. He's like, you bet on sports all the time. The Bulls, the Sox, the Cubs. And he just says it with this this utter condescension in his tone that was fucking hilarious.
1: He's good enough that I, I understood the intent, even if I didn't know why. It was supposed to be funny.
0: There you go. I mean, at that point in time, it was still kind of a joke to be a Cubs fan. It'd be another five years before they won the World Series, but yeah, I guess that's true. Like um, the delivery of it all in the context, you could tell that it was supposed to make him look like a fucking moron.
1: This is a this is pretty crazy because it's uh, obviously this basically the climax of the movie. Um, I mean, there's there's a little bit more to come, but this is the the big moment, and uh, it's just so it's so awkward, so cringe worthy, also funny because it opens with uh, or you know he's being welcomed Vince Vaughn is being welcomed by everybody there Uh, his sister is there and earlier in the movie when he was trying to get advice from people uh, he called his sister throw her in hypothetical that she uh, understood as Vince Vaughn telling her that her husband was cheating on her And then it turns out later in the party, we find out that uh, she confronted her husband (laughs) about it and the husband admitted it. And so here the husband just hugs Vince Vaughn and he's like, I don't know how you found out, but if you ever fuck me like that again, I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the perfect, you know, it's just like the perfect joke in three stages. Every development of it was funny. And of course, just when you get to the end here, it's it's great.
0: So Ronnie's had enough. Basically, it's an intervention because they all think he's gambling again. And uh, Zip's not going along with it. Uh, Gen- uh, Geneva just yells at him at one point when the riders is just like, What the hell are you doing here? Uh, and everyone's kind of like, What the hell? Uh, no one really pays it too much mind, but it's definitely out of left field. So then Ronnie's like, Fuck it. I'm not doing this. You got to look at these pictures. So he takes out his camera to show him. And of course, Zip had erased them all and just replaced them with one picture of him giving him the bird in front of his crushed fish tank. So at this point, Vince Vaughn just decks Channing Tatum in the face. And this is the last we see of Zip. He uh, scurries away. And um, on the way out, he's like, no, I would like to get high with you sometime, but man, you're crazy.
1: He he had stolen enough of the movie. It was time for him to go.
0: Yeah, he was just uh, an ancillary, a uh, happenstantial character, but definitely stuck out as a positive. So at this point, Ronnie's had enough and he just comes completely clean with everything that's going on. Just says, you know, I found Geneva messing around with that dude, and I this was weighing on me. I haven't known how to tell you. I've been following her around. And then Winona, uh, Geneva, she, like, gives him the death glare and then gets all worked up, and you think that she's going to just unload, you know, the, um, the soliloquy she had earlier in the movie, her desperate cries for help and blame and she actually owns up to it. She just is like, fuck it, and she's an adult about it and is like, yes, I've been doing it. What do you expect from me? And we have, like, this three-way conversation going on. This is the best picture clip. I guess you would probably play this during, because um, uh, best pictures typically of the past few years have been, like,
1: Uh, like a montage yeah montage
0: is the word i'm looking for like uh, clips tied together this would be the best screenplay part where they show like the the words Uh from the script and the actors are acting them out because you get like crushed kevin james crying and screaming winona ryder calm but still just emotionally spent vince vaughn and then you have uh jennifer connelly who's just uh, aghast uh, probably a better word is just um fraught and overcome with emotion at this point it's Going into this movie with what little I knew about it, I just knew it was a movie with a trailer that, you know, was like, Vince Vaughn and Kevin James are zany, rated (laughs) PG-13. I did not expect a scene like this. It was powerful.
1: But it's also, I think that part of what what helps it work so well is that they all react in ways that are not movie-like. Because you're used to a movie extending the conflict. So you're used to Kevin James not believing whenever they they tell him. You're used to another writer lying about it when confronted about it. And you're used to Jennifer Connelly being jealous and not understanding of the situation that Vince Vaughn was in. But that's not at all what happens. It's the complete opposite. When Vince Vaughn tells Kevin James about it because they're friends, he actually takes him seriously. I, I, I thought that it would have been so easy for them to just extend the movie another 20, 30 minutes if you just had... Kevin James automatically assumed that Vince Vaughn was just trying to get out of of the intervention by distracting him with this shit, and then the fact that we know a writer cops to it, also you know she's like well, you could have gone much longer if she decided to fight them, and again you could also have a subplot of Jennifer Connelly just breaking up with him temporarily because she just can't handle the shit,
0: but no all the things you were saying are like exactly what I expected to happen yep. watching this, yep, like uh, I, and I expected the. Uh, Intervention leader. I, I know there's a term for that. I apologize. Uh, but I expected him to get like a pie in the face and like <laughs> Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it, was going to start playing. So, like, watching this all play out, I was like, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's good. And, and I would say that the, the, I mean, obviously, this would be too long to play it at the Oscars, but to me, it starts with uh, Kevin James having this really heartfelt speech before Vince Vaughn says anything. Kevin James is like, no, just let me talk. And he tells him about how. From the moment that he saw him, he wanted to be his friend because he was so cool. And So before anything about the infidelity comes out, these two have just like a, a bro-to-bro moment where they just tell each other how much they care, uh, you know, and then things get ugly. But uh, that's just acting that you don't usually see from from most of them. So it's, it's pretty cool.
0: Ron Howard called them all in and he said, guys, we're going to wow them with this one. <laughs> uh, they
1: rehearsed that one for two weeks before shooting
0: <laughs> yeah they rehearsed it and much like bram stoker's dracula or you know um the evergreen reference of blue is the warmest color i can just see ron howard off screen just yelling you're a whore you're a whore
1: <laughs> he put like those uh, shock bracelets on uh, on kevin james and vince vaughn whenever they tried to riff or try to be funny it was like no this is not the time you <laughs> <laughs> just shocked them
0: Yeah, that that was like the rehearsal that took two weeks. They would try to riff. He's like, no, God damn it. Again, from one. Uh, So Ronnie goes out for a long stroll. Obviously, it has been a taxing uh, week for him. He returns back to the apartment. And just like you were saying, you expect certain things to come from movies, especially movies like this. So when he returns for the evening and he got dinner, burgers or some shit, and Beth comes out and they talk about what's happened. You expect this to be something like "I love you more than there's water in the ocean," or "If you're a bird, I'm a bird," or all that bullshit. <laughs> like it's like an adult conversation where Beth is like, she's like, "I don't trust you," and that's not healthy. She's like, "We need to work at these things," and I, it's it's so weird. It's like this is uh, a movie with Kevin James, and it's like these real, like, well acted scenes of adult conversation. Uh, and I could definitely see if you were going into this thinking it was uh, going to be Paul Blart or something like that being kind of thrown a loop. But
1: earlier when you asked if uh, if I thought that this was a good family movie or a good date movie, this is where I think that some people going on a date to watch this movie, this sort of honest conversation, while healthy and beneficial to a relationship, it's not the kind of thing that you're looking for on a, a date movie. That's just when you're just getting to know each other. And I think it would be it would just make them uncomfortable. 'Cause they would want the I'm a bird, you're a bird <laughs> moment yes. instead of this that's not it's not a clear cut happy ending. It's just him saying, You're right, I'm gonna have to earn your trust again.
0: <laughs> and he like tells her he's like, I walked past the casino three times, yep. like I was really tempted, but I didn't go in. Yeah, it's very strange, uh, tonally for the movie, uh, but very well acted. And then of course, at that point it would feel like horse shit if he did some like super romantic uh, proposal so when she opens up her to go food like the rings in there and she's just like yes of course so uh we go to the next day at the proposal the or not the proposal excuse me the demonstration of uh, their electric car you know all the chips are on the table all those other euphemisms and analogies and figures of speech you can think of and beforehand uh they meet each other in the waiting room they try to talk and Uh, We learned that uh, Geneva had moved out, so we have seen our last of Miss Winona Ryder in this movie. And Ronnie tries to apologize to Nick, and then we get the old Liam and Noel Gallagher special where they (laughs) get into a fight before their show. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Yeah, it's not much of a fight. Old Paul Blart pops him one in the face. And Vince Vaughn gets up and it's kind of like saving Silverman or there's a lot of movies like that, but just so, okay, I deserve that. And if you feel the need to hit me again, go for it. And he needs them. I don't know if you need them in the groin or the the bread basket, but drops them like the, you know, the proverbial sack of potatoes and, um, the representative coming in. They're like, we're ready for you. And one of the guys walks over to Ronnie and he's like, after what we've just seen in there and then just classic Vince Vaughn delivery is like, Oh, that we're just kids cooped in a car too long. We're just working. Then he winks at him, and, uh, Man, Vince Vaughn, it's fitting that he is, um, and fighting with my family because God, when I listen to him talk, he he would have been a millionaire in the pro wrestling business. Just his ability to bullshit.
1: <laughs> uh, he's right. Sometimes you just have to punch things out.
0: Yeah. Warts can only take you so far. And I mean, men are stupid creatures that don't really know how to resolve issues sometimes without just bashing shit into one another. Look at the game of football. Um, and the demonstration goes off without that hitch. It goes swimmingly. We get some awesome Kevin James facial expressions as he's revving the engine, and uh, that everything goes perfect. And they cut him a big fat check, and the, the, it's a done deal. So they succeed.
1: Yeah, I might have just, it might have been like the remnants of uh, Bram Stoker Dracula <laughs> in my head, but I. I was just thinking cargasm the entire time that Kevin James is there, just revving it up and just looking like he's he's climaxing while everybody else watches. Coppola directed the second unit.
0: <laughs> so we transition from, you know, life is good to yet another Blackhawks game. I guess they have uh, season tickets. And previously in the movie at the Blackhawks game, Kevin James Nick explained, you know, if he ever had that opportunity to make that uh, half-ranked shot into the little gimmick slot, for the net or the goal, excuse me, he, he'd be able to do so. And with this, uh, he is able to do so with Vince Vaughn, giving him the speech from miracle with, uh, Kurt Russell. And he makes it the end
1: (laughs) freeze frame. (laughs) Uh, this, this is a, a little bit of just cultural gap, I guess. on my part, because I, what do you do? How do you get picked to take that shot? Because to me, it felt very convenient. I understand it's a movie, you know, and we need the, the happy ending. But that right now, when he needs a win, or, or just like the cherry on top of the win, that was getting the the car, the car job. You know, he finally gets picked. He he made it sound like he'd been waiting his whole life to do this. So, and then at the end of the movie, do they pick you a random, or do you sign up and hope that they pick your name?
0: I know you can. There have been times you can sign up. Sometimes it's like contests, like you know, if you find a. You know, a sticker on your soda or you know your can of, or a bag of chips that says that, or like, especially from a local perspective, it's uh, a lot of like radio shows. Like, hey, if you're the tenth caller, you'll get the opportunity to do this. There's basically ways to win it. So,
1: if your wife just left you,
0: yeah, for uh, Chad and Tatum. I mean, we were already pushing two hours. I didn't want to add another five minutes on of uh, Kevin James calling <laughs> KLBB or WXN.
1: I. You know, the movie had given us enough that I had no problem justifying it to myself by just assuming that Vince Vaughn had a hand in it. Somehow, he just, you know, he's fast-talking Vince Vaughn. He talked to someone, gave him the the story, and said, can you just do this for this guy? He needs it.
0: That's believable. I I buy that. Or Queen Latifah just hooked him up with it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
1: She, yeah. What did it say? She keeps calling me bro. Is it bro that she calls him, or?
0: I think so. Yeah, it, it, that's Kevin James saying <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, the dilemma was quelled. Uh, that concludes Contrarians Corner. Julio, are you ready to move on to real talk of this Ron Howard masterpiece?
1: Yes. Let's let's move on to real talk.
0: See, you need to understand how this is gonna play out, Ronnie. I'm gonna tell him how we slept together all those years ago, and then I'm gonna say that you started making passes at me Mm. and that they never stopped. You do that. You sell him that I've been hitting on you for 20 years straight.
1: I should have told you, Nick. I should have told you sooner. But, but Ronnie insisted that we not say anything. And as the years went on it got harder and harder and i just lied to myself and said it didn't matter but i'm telling you this now because ronnie has gone crazy he's been throwing me up against restaurant walls like right when you're right around the corner it's like he wants you to see he wants to get caught because he feels so guilty but i don't feel safe
0: anymore nick okay This had to come out. Then what are you gonna do, Ronnie? Mr. Moral Guy? Are you gonna look your best friend in the eyes and lie to him and say, No, that never happened. I never slept with her? I don't think so. Stay out of my marriage.
1: All right, I am recording for Real Talk.
0: Excellent, Real Talk for the Dilemma. What a fascinating movie!
1: How many, how many Ron Howard movies would you say you've watched?
0: Oh, it's got to be in the millions. Um, <laughs> Directed Jesus. by only. Let me pull up his filmography here.
1: So I want to say that I've I've watched all the heavy hitters. Uh, in his filmography, except for Splash.
0: saw Splash when I was a kid. Wow, I was off with Night Shift. I said 84, 85. That was 82. First movie he directed was Grand Theft Auto in 1977. That starred uh, himself and Nancy Morgan. But Night Shift, I know you haven't seen Night Shift, correct?
1: Right. I guess that's my other big blind spot.
0: Night Shift rules. Um, I've never seen Willow. Parenthood, yeah. Backdraft. Uh, Apollo thirteen, of course. Uh, I didn't know he directed Ed TV. Fascinating. Yeah. The Grinch. What What are your thoughts on the live action Grinch?
1: I, I've only seen it once. I at the time it was it was a Jim Carrey movie, so I enjoyed it as that. I've never felt the need to watch it again. If I were to watch a Christmas movie, I think there are Christmas movies that I enjoy more.
0: Uh, I agree with that. I also don't think. It, for some reason i remember it getting or it has a legacy of a lot of people shit on it which i don't uh agree with entirely
1: well i've never seen that the the i guess the one that's considered a classic the cartoon version of it so i think that might have been part of it i, I think some people would just would just complain about that about the fact that it's not like the cartoon and it's just it's very clearly uh a Jim Carrey vehicle but that's well what did you expect
0: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, never saw a solo a Star Wars story but he was like one of several directors on that right
1: they they fired the guys behind the Lego movie and now Spider-Verse and uh and they brought him in to just kind of put it all together
0: put a bow on it yeah
1: Um I mean it's it, he gets the directorial credit so I think it's still most of it is his. It's definitely a Ron Howard movie. It's not a movie by those guys. Uh, gotcha.
0: And
1: it it's I mean, I like it. It's it's good. It's probably, you know, about as good as Rogue
0: One. I remember thinking Da Vinci Code was fine. Um, for what it is. It's not I don't really have any interest in watching it again, but I remember thinking it was fine. To answer your question, I have seen uh a good amount and also um I am familiar with Sir Ron Howard's Uh, filmography. So So
1: do you feel, based on your Ron Howard experience, do you feel that this is an outlier?
0: Yeah, it doesn't really feel like a Ron Howard movie. What feels like a Ron Howard movie about this is that it has such an A-list cast that I could see did it to work with Ron Howard. Right. Uh, Maybe not specifically Kevin James and Vince Vaughn, but I think Jennifer Connelly and uh, Winona Ryder are interesting choices that I couldn't say you would have the same enthusiasm from them had it been a lesser director. So let's just get to the the nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes here. Uh, to reiterate, it was released on January fourteenth, two thousand eleven. A budget of seventy million, but uh, despite its loaded cast and uh, you know A list director, uh, barely recouped that. Made just a little bit over sixty nine million at the box office. Made over six million from DVD sales, though. Which <laughs> this, again, this is only nine years ago, and that still seems like unfathomable by today's standards.
1: Well, um, you know, you, the people you, you can't pause and rewind on that uh, on that kiss between Channing Tatum and Winona Ryder in movie theaters, but you can when you own the DVD.
0: Yeah, and all you people that have laughed at me for my physical media collection. Everything's getting taken down, man. I'm gonna be the only <laughs> game in town. When when they get Tropic Thunder, I got the director's cut Blu-ray. You can come <laughs> for me. So
1: it'll just have an introduction from Ben Stiller and Robert Downey Jr. Explaining uh, the that
0: context. one. Complete quick sidebar. That's that particular when people make a fuss about that, like. There's a 100% chance they have not watched the movie. Yep. There's a lot of other things that like I I will yield my time or I will step away and say <laughs> you are right. That one is not one of them. You just you have not watched the movie. Here nor there. What is here is the dilemma and I believe we said 24% a bit yep. earlier. Yes, on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh Julio, let's let's breeze through this here. Let's get your quotes, and then I got a few trivia bits because I definitely want to get into a discussion about this movie.
1: But, uh, yes, yeah, I think that uh, it will be interesting. So, fresh quotes. Some people actually like it. Some critics actually like this movie. Uh, Lindy West from The Stranger, Seattle, Washington, says to its credit, the dilemma treats the complicated tensions and sadnesses and joys of relationships with far more nuance than most modern comedies. It's almost like she was listening to our last 10, 20 minutes of Contrarian's Corner. <laughs> uh, David Denby from The New Yorker says, Whoever thought that Ron Howard could make a cult film? This movie is a mess, but it's an intelligent and affecting mess. Again, I kind of want to that- say that he's had some cult films in his career. I mean, I, it,
0: B- fucking Night Shift is a cult movie.
1: Uh, I yeah. would, I, you know, my first thought was Willow. I mean, Willow, everybody loves oh, Willow, yeah. but Willow is not. You know, this this classic. Uh, it's a cult classic. Can think.
0: you reread the last line of that review? He said it's a mess, but what? Uh,
1: but it's an intelligent and affecting mess.
0: That seems to be pretty close to where I'm going to side.
1: Yeah. Uh, Eric Childress from eFilmCritic.com says, A surprisingly honest take on relationships with terrific performances by the four leads. A shame it has been misadvertised as a wacky comedy, because it is much better than that. Yep. Uh, Betsy Sharkey from Los Angeles Times says, "What the Dilemma ultimately does best is create a platform for Vaughn to drag that iconic character of his into full-blown adulthood." There wasn't really a quote that mentioned Winona Writer, but I I did some more digging and I pulled up a review that was titled "Winona Writer Shines in the Dilemma," and then I picked a quote from it that says, "Oh, it's from uh, Roger Moore from the Orlando Sentinel." And he says, Writer, giving her unfaithful wife more of an edge than the Namby Pamby script calls for, reminds us in a single funny point and scene what she's capable of as an actress. She's so good, she left Howard with a real dilemma. How not to make this movie totally about her and how not to see everything from her point of view. it's uh, going a little too far, but, but I don't disagree.
0: No. Uh, obviously, we tiptoed around it, but did bring it up because it... Was kind of a controversial part of this movie that Vince Vaughn's um, kind of reckless use of the word gay in the uh, uh, opening of the movie, the first act. Uh, the film's trailer caused an almighty fuss because of one line where Vince Vaughn's character says, Electric cars are gay. I mean, not homosexual gay, but my parents are chaperoning the dance gay. Universal contacted the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, glad to see how they felt about it. Not surprisingly, glad were not keen on it. Sure enough, the trailer attracted a lot of criticism for this one line when it was released, eventually being publicly criticized by Anderson Cooper. Universal were forced to release a new trailer without the offending line. Co-producer and director Ron Howard, however, refused to cut the line from the film itself as he felt it was tantamount to censorship.
1: Such a weird...
0: It's an odd hill to die on.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh I don't know. I I completely understand where Glad is coming from. You know, I was like, if I'm honest, like I find the line funny, but that's because the line is not making fun of me. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh if the if Vince Vaughn was saying if he was saying this car is so Julio, you know, and I don't mean Julio Rivera, but I mean Julio julio that works at cinemark julio or julio that uh, has a podcast julio you know i don't know I, I i think that uh i know it's a pretty clunky comparison but you know even though it's not i think directly homophobic i think that it's it's using the word gay which by now it's like gay is 100 associated with homosexual people so uh it's using it in a way that's kind of uh you call it pejorative you know it's uh, you're equating it yeah, to something Georgia. that's bad. So especially when you consider what it amounts to in the movie, <laughs> it's it's like, just take it out, you know, or have a conversation about it. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I, it's, uh, again, it's, uh, I don't really think the entire movie would have been altered too greatly if that had been taken out. So it is, it is kind of an odd hill to die on. Um, it's certainly not like, repulsively offensive at the same time, it just kind of seems like, yeah, you probably don't need to do that. Uh, and this was 10 years ago. God, by today's, whatever you want to call it, cancel culture, or what have you, that it have, uh, Vince Vaughn's head on a pike out on, uh, Rodeo drive. Be but like, also uh,
1: you, you have Todd Phillips coming out of his support. <laughs> oh yeah. Be it'd like, be a fucking mess. It'd be like, this is why we can't be funny anymore.
0: It'd be, um, Like, uh, Ron Howard would be leaving, you know, lunch somewhere in L.A., and it would be like, uh, you know, the Wokes would find him, and it would be uh, tantamount, to steal that word right there, to Tommy Lee Jones when he turns around and sees all the prisoners coming at him and natural-born killers. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Like Julio said, I I laughed at it. Uh, I think I laughed at it more from, like, a what? Because I... If I had known about the whole fuss at the time, I I had forgotten about it by the time I watched the movie, so my laughter was more just kind of nervous, like, huh? Uh,
1: (laughs) Where is this going?
0: (laughs) Yeah. During shooting in the United Center for the shoot the puck scene, Kevin James actually made it into the net while practicing for the scene. The extras in the United Center erupted into Chelsea Dagger to commemorate his accomplishment. Uh, Chelsea Dagger is the song that plays when the Blackhawks score. In the movie, it's the... I would assume footage of that exists somewhere. I would hope so, of him actually making it. Cause that's... Kevin James hopes so, too. <laughs> yes. He's been bugging uh, Universal ever since. Uh, Winona Ryder won the lead female role after two auditions, beating out the likes of Kate Beckinsale, Carla Gugino, and Uma Thurman, which just like the idea that (laughs) Uma Thurman and Winona Ryder were competing for this role. Again, I think it just goes to working with Ron Howard. I think that that has to be a big part of it.
1: I thought you were going to say the idea that any of those women, Winona Ryder included, would just have to make us believe that they were married to Kevin James. <laughs> I kid. I mean, Fair. Kevin James. He's he's a funny guy. He has personality. He's he's not classically. Uh, attractive in the way that you know Channing tatum is but i also now that we're in real talk yeah of course i buy them as a couple
0: i mean yeah it's just it's uh part of a greater bit as we've talked about we talking about kevin james and king of queens he had leah ramini who's a fucking smoke <laughs> show uh and here comes the boom you know someone hayek. hayek one of the hottest women ever it's just I think after a while it almost becomes funnier because like all these hot women are with him. It's um, Will Ferrell and the other guys. Like that's that whole joke in that movie. Jennifer Garner was cast, but dropped out and was replaced by Jennifer Conley, which I can definitely see Jennifer Garner in that role. Uh, But that being said, I I I thought Jennifer Conley was like perfect for that. She's, I don't know if underutilized is the right word. Just seems like um, she's a very well-known talent, but, I would like to see her more. It could also be completely choice of her. She just does what she wants to, which I think is probably the case because I don't know why the fuck she would have done The Day the Earth Stood Still.
1: (laughs) Uh, I forgot that she was in that movie. I, I don't think I've seen enough movies of hers to really make an assessment of how this feels compared to, I guess, standard Jennifer Connelly. I know that it surprised me how laid back she was. I when I think Jennifer Connelly for some reason I just think she's like the the center of the moral center and she kind of is in this movie but she's also pretty pretty laid back she's she's having a lot of fun with Vince Vaughn she's making jokes she's being playful and uh, I usually think of her as being more straight laced uh, you know wasn't A Beautiful Mind directed by Ron Howard too and she it plays was. Russell Crowe's wife in that one so yeah I don't know it might be that I think she's in that. Uh, Romantic comedy.
0: Uh, is it Requiem He's Not That Into
1: You? Yes. That romantic <laughs> comedy about her
0: and Keith David? Yes. Um, Jesus. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, she, I, he's I've just never, I don't that think I've ever
1: you. seen her You know, be be as, as playful as in this movie.
0: Have you ever seen He's Just Not That Into You? Yeah. Uh, her and B Coop's story arc is easily the most fascinating part of that movie.
1: Okay. Because so, I don't remember what her part was. So she is... His wife and he is cheating on her with Scarlett Johansson, right?
0: Yeah, and then she like tries to like God, it's so like you have to watch it through your fingers type thing. When she shows up at her his office and he makes Scarlett Johansson hide in the closet, and she like has to watch them have sex. Yep, it's awful, awful.
1: Such a hard life. Fuck you,
0: Coop. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Kevin James was originally cast for that role, but he had to drop out. <laughs> <laughs> So, that, you know, the trivia is pretty light on this movie. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, we're not talking about fucking a Christopher Nolan movie here or some, like, massive event movie or The Artist or, you know, any one of these movies that we continuously uh, name drop as, you know, events or gimmicks or big things that happen in the film industry. Um, you know, Star Wars, this was not. So, that being said, its legacy is fairly minimal so much so that I watched this movie 10 years later, having only seen the trailer 10 years ago and thought I knew what it was. And one of those reviews you read hit the, the nail on the head with uh, horribly misadvertised. Cause I was watching this expecting fucking like happy Madison type shit. Yep. And um, so when this movie ended, I was like my thoughts, like I was kind of thinking out loud to myself about it when the credits were rolling so it's not it's not good. It's not a good movie because it's kind of all over the place tonally. But that one about it's a mess, but it's an intelligent mess. There's something to this that's good. And that uh, I'm not even saying like you have to get a different cast to make what's here great. Because I think the cast and their respective roles are excellent in this movie. Yeah. Um, the problem is it's not a comedy and it tries hard to be. What it could be is a drama or, you know, more of a, a melancholy type movie, but has a couple jokes in it. I mean, there's plenty of dramas that we could name that like have some funny parts to it. And there are like fucking, uh, I lost my shit with the part where he's in the, um, massage parlor and she comes up, she's like, Oh, we have good massage for you. This is going to be great. You're going to be so happy. And, uh, Vince Vaughn's on the phone and he's like, "What's that?" And Kevin Chance goes, "Oh, there's a war movie on before the Mad Men marathon." <laughs> I laughed so hard, like to the point where like I had to pause it because I, I didn't want to miss what was coming up. Uh, that and I mentioned in Contrarian's Corner the the jesting about the Cubs I thought was really funny, and the thing talking about you know I met this Hasidic guy at Gamblers Anonymous. He's going to sell me this ring, like little things like that that aren't like drawing attention to themselves trying to be funny where this movie derails are these segments where things try to draw attention to themselves. Cause they're, they're funny. Like the Kevin, uh, not Kevin James, the Channing Tatum, the tattoo on his ass and like that type of stuff. It's just kind of like those things occur and then derail the momentum of the movie. I think the best example of that is, uh, well, you said you thought it was funny. So I might be uh, in disagreement here. I thought the whole toast scene was just bad. And like, uh, I think that by then, I, because I
1: agree with you, if if you could tone down the comedy while still keeping it funny, this would be a much better movie. But the difference is that the speech, at least I found it funny. I really, it, it's just so inappropriate what he's saying and, you know, the, the whole idea. I, I, I am a sucker for Vince Vaughn riffing. Do you know how I feel usually about riffing? But Vince yeah. Vaughn is usually pretty funny and he's riffing here. He's gifted. Here yeah he he's just you know he just keeps going on and on about the pool and the guy that cleans the pool and the fact that he, they're both really attractive people it, it just it just cracked me up but- he's
0: saying about the dad too something about like uh he worked in clothing you think he didn't look <laughs> at a few women in his day
1: yeah yeah uh, in the delivery you know uh but something that doesn't work is uh all the shit with, uh, uh, at the Guardians with Vince Vaughn falling on the plants that are poisonous and now he has the rash. And, you know, it's just that's, like
0: that's shit that just was there for the trailers and TV spots. Yeah. Like, um, and I was going to say, I think I kind of figured it out right now. Probably the reason I was checked out of the toast scene because the the fight scene with Channing Tatum goes on way too long. Like, yeah. The, so, like, I think I was annoyed probably by that point, but
1: I mean, I wasn't kidding in Contreras Corner. I, I like, that there's a lot of back and forth in that fight. I mean, I don't think it needs to be, but but it also at least there's something to it. I like that you know first you think you think it's gonna be as simple as Channing Tatum caught him, so he's gonna kick his ass. Yeah. But then Vince Vaughn actually has a pretty brutal rebound with the with the flamethrower, and then you think he's won, and the fact that Channing Tatum gets the upper hand again. But only until Vince Vaughn reveals why he's there and the fact that Channing Tatum is ashamed and, and kind of hurt by what Vince Vaughn has said. All that stuff, it's just, it's good. But, you know, I kind of wish that maybe it was it was condensed a little more.
0: Yeah, it's like out of everything in the movie, I think like that seemed to lack the most direction. Um, it's a movie that will will never get this we'll never get you know the criterion uh essay about it but i, I would be curious to see like what the alan lobe and ron howard what they're envisioning uh how that aligned with what the studio wanted because it's you're gonna have a hard time trying to sell vince vaughn kevin james movie as like that has a serious twinge to it
1: you're right actually yeah now that you because with that in mind maybe you do need a recast just for the purpose of easing the audience into the kind of movie that this is. I can combine mm-hmm. Winona writer and, and uh Jennifer and in, in the movie that we really want it to be. But when you have Vince Vaughn and Kevin James at the helm, then it's hard not to go in with the expectation that this is gonna be, you know
0: it's uh wedding Crashers or Yeah, exactly. Or Paul Blart. And yeah, just kind of revisiting the trailer. It does it's wacky and, you know, it <laughs> makes Channing Tatum looked like a borderline invalid that's just kind of like this piece of meat, and um, which I guess he is, but he, he does have some really funny parts in the movie. And then, you know, it, it's uh, naturally, especially the time period, the natural thing to compare it to is Love and Other Drugs in terms of the trailer not exactly meshing up with what you got. Of course, Love and Other Drugs kind of took that to, they turned that up to 11. <laughs> I think what you got was not even in the same galaxy as what uh, was advertised. So, you know. Uh, okay,
1: okay. So you have uh, Mark Ruffalo. In the in the Kevin James role, and you have well, Jay Gyllenhaal is too young to be with Mark Ruffalo. Contemporary, maybe uh you know, I always go with Fassbender because I think Fassbender could do no wrong.
0: Let's uh, let's do John Hamm in the Vince Vaughn role.
1: Oh, that's that's really good. It's and
0: that's, I mean, you can keep Jennifer Connelly and oh yeah the yeah because
1: they work. They, they 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 when you see them in a movie, you don't automatically think wacky comedy. So you can just go in with whatever they do.
0: And then um. Because the way Channing Tatum's portrayed is silly, uh, I'd replace him with like Idris Elba and make him like a businessman, like uh, an um, emotionally immature, but not like an idiot. Not, right, you right. Know, he's you still...
1: Know, he's a, a Cunning and smart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good.
0: There you go. Hop on at Hollywood. And Ron Howard can direct it. We <laughs> this run, holiday sure. season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's... Of all the movies we do, it's the movies like this that kind of, you know, they don't stick in my craw because that is a negative, negative connotation. But it's kind of like they they just kind of hang around in the back of my head. Because a lot of movies we've done, uh, even at this point in the recording process, it's already come in and gone. With this, <laughs> like, it I guess it's the surprise factor because I was being genuine in a lot of Contrarian's Corner. Some of the scenes in this are like, like, I am going to have to rewatch this movie because, like, <laughs> things will be happening And then I'll think to myself, wait, is this really good? And then I'm like, Oh my God, this is actually really good. And it's like, so what did I miss before when I was just expecting to be silly? Dude, that scene where Winona Ryder like walks through everything that's gonna happen if you tell him is awesome. It's like (laughs) it's so bitchy and vindictive. Uh but also like perfectly played. Cause she comes across as just kind of almost evil, but then it works. Cause then at the end of the movie, she just like realizes this is stupid. I, I just need to be an adult about this, which right. again, it's a fucking Kevin James and Vince Vaughn comedy movie. Like <laughs> I shouldn't be having like these ideas and emotions about these characters. And like, uh, you know, um, cause uh, perfect example. I love here comes the boom, but I can admit that is every Kevin James trope rolled into an MMA movie. So that's why I enjoy it with right. this. I know. Uh, did you see that new movie that Kevin James came out with where he's a Nazi? What? <laughs> oh, okay. So I was about to say this is probably the deepest Kevin James role, but I haven't seen. Uh, it's called Becky, I think is what it's called. When we finish, you're going to have to look up the trailer. Like Kevin James uh, is bald with a big beard and has like a swastika on the back of his head. And uh, Jesus. <laughs> it's yeah, it was like a made for streaming service movie. But anyway, I, I'm I'm not going to watch that. I will yeah. watch the Dilemma again. I think. He is the weakest in the movie, but I think that's because obviously you've got two titans and Jennifer Connelly and Winona Ryder. And then, for as much as we talk about Vince Vaughn, uh, you know, being just a riffer, and obviously his movies are Vince Vaughn movies. He's still a talented guy. Like we talked about in our uh, real talk of our Fred Claus episode, that whole "I have an act" thing. I think that's a lot of times where clearly people lose sight of, you know, people like Adam Sandler and, uh, Tyler Perry people that have like this shtick, you still have to have some talent to carry that successfully for multiple movies over and over again. And then especially someone like Vince Vaughn, I mean, Adam Sandler, we've, we've had it with uncut gems and things like that, but like Vince Vaughn has moments in movies like this, like Fred Claus, uh, Maybe wedding crashers. I haven't seen that in a while, but he has these moments of like transparency where you're like, okay, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. It's not just kind of like dumb luck that he, you know, it's not Andrew Dice Clay or something like that, where it's just this shtick that worked one time only. Uh, it's um, his interactions that scene with Jennifer Connolly at the end. It's like, I believe everything that's happening, mm-hmm. and it's just. It's very strange. Like, I, I'm like haunted by this. We're going into this, like, with what I expected to come from it. So, I guess my question to you since we record these remotely now, we kind of keep quiet with each other about things going into the movie. Uh, had you seen this before?
1: Yeah, I, I saw it uh, when it first came out. I might have even screened it. And I was, my wife asked me how it was when I finished it tonight. And I said, it wasn't good, but it was better than I remembered and that's you know a pretty good way of summing it up because i remember feeling like all the maybe it has to do with age i don't know i remember feeling like all the serious stuff didn't work when i watched it the first time and now of course watching it today that's the only thing that works <laughs> <laughs> the all the stuff at the intervention when i you know 9 years ago 10 years ago i was just like can you just just move on it's too much it reminded me of the because there's so much coming together at that moment it reminded me of uh, Crazy Stupid Love when Ugh. when everybody comes together oh yeah I know what I you're talking about yeah. but but no it's actually better because y- you have really strong performances I think that that's really what saves it what really
0: it didn't devolve into a three stooges act like the it, fucking Crazy Stupid Love did nope
1: it could have but they, mm-hmm. they were wise mm-hmm. enough to get Chan and Tatum out of there quickly enough and then really spend the rest of the scene with honest emotion but uh, I think my main problem now, and it was there to... Actually, this is what I remember the most about the first time I watched it. Even from watching the, the trailer, I didn't think that there was enough there for a movie. And I'm still not sure that there was. That quote I read in Contreras Corner about the guy that said that uh, an episode of Friends would have handled this better. You know, they would have yeah. taken care of it. It's true because... Uh, or at least that's how I feel. Um, to me, the, the, the idea that, oh, Vince Vaughn, so we know a writer, kiss Channing Tatum, and now he doesn't know if he's going to tell Kevin James or not, that's a 30-minute sitcom. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can see how they they pad it with other stuff going on so that it's a, an almost two-hour-long movie. But most of that padding feels like padding. To me, by the time we get to the end, I can't believe that, that Vince Vaughn didn't just say something earlier there's many opportunities where he could have told kevin james uh, or he could have told jennifer connelly and he doesn't and the movie explains why but Mm -hmm. it feels like an explanation of like it it basically amounts to because this needs to keep going
0: (laughs) yeah the movie does a good job of at least uh as trivial and like I guess almost silly as some of them may be, it does a really good job of you know plugging every hole. So like at least you're told why he didn't tell these people. But like you said, it, but, but even I can then see. it's the hole. See it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's plugged, but I can still see the the circle
0: around it's it. It's a piece of duct tape over it. Yes, like exactly one layer of duct tape. Yeah, so it's uh, I appreciate him for at least realizing the holes are there. And I mean, you have a, <laughs> a, a experienced filmmaker and Ron Howard in it, but yeah all the answers are really flimsy and basically boil down to because it's a movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh in especially because I don't think they ever give us a true reason why he wouldn't tell Jennifer Connelly. I can understand why he wouldn't tell Kevin James because he has the 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 project that he's working on, he's already like fucked up and he, they need him to to get that project done. And I and a writer gives a good reason why he can't confront her directly because you know, she 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 has something on him, but which by the way that's another thing that it's like, all right, I'll buy it, but but it's pretty contrived. The fact that it turns out that way back in the day they had sex—that's mm-hmm. just it. Just feels like such a piece of duct tape. <laughs> yeah, we need her to have something on him uh, so that that she'll have more credibility than he does. Uh, but yeah, why wouldn't he tell Jennifer Connelly, who is nothing but a hundred percent understanding and sensible? <laughs> in the movie it in if he tells Jennifer Connelly he's no longer alone and then the rest of the movie doesn't happen or it, mm-hmm. it, it just ends so much faster so uh, that's to me one of the big the big issues that I I can feel that they're stretching it uh, yeah but I like a lot of it I like it a lot more now like I said the, the, all the, the emotional stuff I really liked this should say something that when the movie was over I spent a good chunk of time talking to my wife about whether she had a couple, like friends who were cu- a couple, where she would be, where she wouldn't automatically go to the closest friend to tell them, "Hey, your significant other is cheating on you." You know what I mean? Like the yeah, the idea that I think that most of us we have friends that are couples, but in that couple, there's always one friend that's the primary friend, and if that primary friend gets cheated on, you have absolutely no problem going to that friend and saying it directly. You don't have you know, it may suck, but it, you're not going to uh dilly dally the way that Vince Vaughn does in this movie. The movie the one thing that it does convincingly is uh I buy that he cares for both Winona Ryder and Kevin James. Yeah. That part I, I'm on board with. And the fact that he goes up to her and gives her a chance to be the one that tells him all that stuff it's is believable. But
0: uh I wasn't kidding in the first portion that scene like for how fast it comes, it really surprised me. Like Mm -hmm. I thought there was just going to be like a series again, until like halfway through the movie, I kept thinking, you know, Kevin James was going to slip on a pie or something (laughs) in the next scene. But, uh, so the fact, like, I thought there was going to be like, he was going to go into like, ah, Geneva. And then, you know, get beer spilled on him. So like the fact that they just have it out right there in like that public setting, I mean, Again, the whole thing of this movie, like I said, like we've been talking about, it's this flimsy like model of a movie that's almost falling over, but like the the base or you know, the, what have you the the um, the foundation is really strong. and her whole thing of like, you don't know shit about what it's like <laughs> to be married and it's not played for laughs at all. It's and again, a hu- we can't uh understate enough that this movie, Because of its flimsiness, it pretty much all rests on little nuggets of the writing, but also the acting in that like everyone in this movie seems to have been there to work. And, you know, they didn't just show up and to cash a paycheck or catch a paycheck type of thing. It's uh, they're they're all giving it. I mean, Winona's. Parts are great. Jennifer Connelly doesn't have overly too many lines, but you can tell she's like committed to it. Uh, Kevin James has given it his all. Like I said, it's it's like a, a a model that you're just missing like one really imperative part to it, and like <laughs> the moment you else stop around-
1: holding it, is gonna fall apart.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost there, but it's not. Yeah, it's um, which sucks, but it, at least like it has a lot of good we can point to. Which yeah. is
1: you know the the bad version of that Winona Vince Vaughn confrontation is a whole set piece where he's just trying to look into her phone to see if he if she's been texting Channing Tatum, and it's just you know five seven minutes of that, and they never really arrived at any any meaningful exchange of words, but it's just him being funny and getting his beer, trying to look over her shoulder, and
0: he like grabs her phone and then he's like chasing around trying to get the facial recognition to match up. It, you know. Yes, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes in this movie that I was like, I could see like a very cringe-worthy uh or cringe-inducing version of this. So I'm just baffled by it. And I'm going to have to fucking watch this movie again. <laughs> just mismanaged. And, you know, uh, like you said, the 30-minute show, I think at best even you could do like a, you know, a two-parter. And just kind of drag it out. But the, no, for the story they have here, even though they try to introduce a bunch of really interesting aspects to it, there's... This is not enough for a two hour movie. And because of that, you get some really uh, dragging sequences throughout it.
1: Yeah. Uh, How'd you feel about Queen Latifah now that we're in real talk?
0: Uh, This was, you know, during that period where she was just, uh, she was Queen Latifah and everything. This would have been around the time of uh, What Happens in Vegas, which is also a very uh, good movie that's. complete, like, dog shit trailer, but I remember just loving it. It's stupid. It's really stupid, but God, it's fucking hilarious. Where she has a similar role to this. She's just kind of...
1: She's the stiffler. Uh,
0: she's the... Con- well, not the stiffler. She's a bit turned up in this, but in a sense, she's still kind of the conscience of the movie. Of Like, she keeps everything on track, kind of unloads this exposition throughout it, and she did a lot of white people movies where she was like, you know, Queen Latifah and Queen Latifah. That's how you can put it over the top for it. So... Um, she's fine. Uh, the the dialogue she has in lesser hands could be, you want to talk about could be cringeworthy. Yep. Yeah. Like. Uh. But I think she's funny with it, the way she delivers it. But he had like fucking Jennifer Tilly trying to say that shit. Oof.
1: I think it's. But she is such a standout element of that side of of this movie's personality, where she is pretty much just a the full on comedy kind of juvenile sex-driven gags. She does not... Her character does not belong in the more toned-down version of the movie that we would like. (laughs) Uh, But it's also a character that doesn't... It's not needed. That's the thing. I mean, it just... I I think that was my main takeaway, was that, yeah, I like her, and she's doing doing fine. She's making me laugh, but it feels almost like they wrote it so that Queen Latifah would be in the movie. (laughs) Or this character only existed... Barely in the screenplay, but then once they got Queen Latifah attached to the project, they just blew it up into into something else. Yeah,
0: Yeah, she could not... I'm trying to think of who... That might be where you put Fossbender. Just like (laughs) super serious, bringing him back to Earth. Talking about how
1: much he wants to fuck the car.
0: (laughs) Yes. But like, again, not at all played for comedy. It's just incredibly awkward. It's a very flimsy shell of a movie but uh, as we've gone on about for 30 or 40 minutes at this point there's a lot to take away from it I would certainly not discourage anyone from checking this movie out
1: Uh, yeah I'm surprised that I am actually we're both as positive as we've been because I went in expecting much worse just from what I remembered and just in general it just doesn't, not just my memory of having watched the movie but my memory of what the movie was supposed to be and it turned out that it was it had enough enough good stuff in it that it's definitely worth watching. It's also, I mean, I don't know. Now it's even more interesting in the in the big in the big roadmap of Winona Ryder movies to see because I remember it as oh man, you, Winona was not good in it, but she's actually really good in it. So to see that she had Black Swan in this movie in the same year, and uh, she was just. You know, getting back into it. Uh, I mean, before that, I think all she had was like Star Trek, maybe, uh, as far as, you know, big profile releases. And then, like I said, you know, the the, the long climb back <laughs> would still, uh, you know, it was going to stretch for several years.
0: Now, wrapping up the dilemma. Again, I find myself saying this a lot of times when we cover these just really innocuous movies. Uh, you're going to have a hard time finding a more in-depth discussion about the dilemma starring <laughs> Vince Vaughn and Kevin James than this podcast. Uh, so, Julio, myself, I, I'd give this movie a, a C, uh, maybe a C plus. This is the type of C that you get uh, that's written very enthusiastically on on your test, like a, a student that um,
1: <laughs> usually gets Fs.
0: <laughs> like yeah, who's kind of dumb, uh, but you can tell they genuinely gave an effort with this. But it's still like a C work, but it's like it, it's a good solid C. So yeah, that's what I'll say about it. What's uh, where does it fall on the old uh, Olivera star ranking?
1: For all the love and the well-deserved love to all the things that work in this movie, I keep thinking about it and it's like no, but it's inherently flawed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be like, watch it, but it's not good. It's what I told my wife. It's not good. It's just better than I remembered, better than I expected. Uh, Two point five out of five stars. You know, but the enthusiastic 2.5 stars, just like a pat on the back, is like, you know what, You'd all things considered. Out,
0: the two and a half stars that are there, you would outline with like uh, a gold sharpie. Yeah. Yeah. As much as we, it's funny, the the whole discussion has been us like, we'll go forward with how good it has been. No, pull it back because it's still a bad movie. <laughs> so I think people that ever watch or listen to this, like, should I watch it? Should I not? I would recommend doing so. Yeah, you it does you break- should watch it. It does break the Mattis rule of of ninety minutes, but at the same time, there is enough good in this movie and enough interesting writing and enough really well acted scenes to warrant at least one viewing.
1: It, it it gives you like I was saying, it gives you something to think about. The you talk about movies that go in one year, out the other. This one didn't do that. I I had I was talking to my wife about that, and I was thinking to myself, it was like no, yeah, he he wasn't wrong. Kevin James was 100% the right. I don't care if I have three ulcers going on. If you find out that I'm being cheated on, you tell me right away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Uh, a surprising stop on the summer of Winona, providing some relief uh, <laughs> as we head into level five of the coronavirus in Austin, Texas. So that concludes the dilemma. Up next is Edward Scissorhands, for better or for worse. And... Uh, Moving into our plugs, uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently this week, but we are going to go ahead and give plugs to our usuals, those being the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks, Uh, the opening being Last Stand, closing being Summer of 99, also providing uh, some supplemental music for the Summer of Winona. So head on over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
1: Uh, also, you can head on over to Mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. That's where you find all of uh, our friend Hans Geiser's work. Uh, he did our logo, uh, but he does so much more. He's not just an artist. He is a novelist. He's a podcaster. There's a series of zombie novels. Uh, the most recent one is Requiem Por Lurim. He has uh, three podcasts, two of them in Spanish. One is about economy called Marginal. And the other one is called Nacion Combi and it's about Peruvian current affairs. Uh, those are available on any podcatcher. You can also check out his uh, podcast in English called Living in Peru on iVox. It's about immigrants to Peru. He probably hasn't seen The Dilemma and he would probably hate it if he watched it because actually maybe not. He likes Crazy Stupid Love. That just proves it. That, that just proves that you can't predict. Hans uh, is like Ron Howard. Unpredictable.
0: Sends us a recorded diatribe of why the fly sucks and he likes fucking crazy (laughs) stupid love that is one of those movies that i remember specifically when it came out at least with you and me and i think eddie there was like no discussion it was just this fucking sucks like that was immediately what we went to and just like trashing oh god it was bad i was thinking about that movie the other day for some reason and i got mad about it all over again Not not plugging crazy stupid love. It's, it's one day I, we may have to do it just because we can like relive our emotions that we went through watching it because I remember having so much hope for it when the trailer dropped like because the cast and like the trailer was great and whatnot. So yeah, uh, um,
1: that's by the way that's my my experience with uh, Rise of Skywalker. I I listened to a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about the movie and it made me angry all over again. <laughs> I
0: was on Hinge tonight and just kind of messaging like you know. What else are you going to do during quarantine? I'm going to try to find some ladies to meet when this all clears up. And it was about Star Wars. Like, uh, Hinge has, like, questions that your profile has, and then you kind of respond to them. And a girl's like, do you like Star Wars? And I messaged her, "Uh, I do. What do you think of Rise of Skywalker? And she's like, I loved it. And I was like, well, this is where this conversation ends. (laughs) So...
1: You got to have some principles.
0: It's a deal breaker, man. Yeah. So uh, lastly, massive shout out to Zoe Perez, who helps curate our social media, specifically our Instagram accounts. Uh, she texted me earlier today. Uh, it made me laugh on two fronts. She's like, hey, I'm going to post something for uh, Dracula. I was going to use the word horny in it. Is that okay? Okay. And then she followed it up with, I, I texted Julio, but he's probably sleeping. And this was like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. She was
1: 100% correct, too.
0: <laughs> she, knows, she knows both of us well. Uh, and I told her, yeah, that's fine. I, I did want to respond. I was like, you know we ranked uh, different penis states on John Travolta <laughs> movies, right? But bless her heart. Uh, does some great work on her Instagram page. So we really do appreciate what you do for us, Zoe. Um. So typically, this is where we go into plugs of anything we've recently watched, read, played, listened to, etc., etc. This is going to be a bit different. We'll save those for the next episode. Um, This will be out uh, around the 1st of July, so about a week and a half, two weeks after the fact. Um, Anyone and everyone in the film industry knows that we lost Joel Schumacher recently. He passed away uh, after a year-long battle with cancer, is uh, what I read. And, um, you know... We've talked about a lot. Uh, I think it's pretty natural for anyone of me and Julio's age range, that's as big as film nerds as we are, to uh, constantly reference when possible Batman Forever and uh, Batman and Robin, just from a comedic standpoint. So I know we've talked about that on here. But Joel Schumacher was definitely an unmistakable filmmaker, and he had definitely a signature style that uh, was all his own. So what we wanted to do. Uh, in lieu of plugs, just to kind of a quick uh, in memoriam of Joel Schumacher, um, I know I tweeted about it, but uh, legitimately, uh, Falling Down would be in my top 25 movies of all time. That's that's an incredible movie, just the way it's shot, presented, the, you know, the commentary it makes, the, just everything about it is what I would define as a perfect film. And then kind of my mini tribute was I, I rewatched The Lost Boys the other night, which... Man, you want to talk about a movie that's just on the fucking money? knows how knows how silly it is, leans into it completely. Ninety minutes, just you know, A list cast. You got Diane Weist running away from vampires. I mean, what more could you ask for? You got Kiefer Sullivan. Just my god, as hot as a July Texas afternoon, man, in that movie. And um, not Terry Hatcher. I always forget her name, but she's also in an episode of Seinfeld. The whole point being, the man who was at the helm of it, Joel Schumacher, and just like from the opening of that movie, the shots of the water going into the bay and uh, acquaintance, I guess, of the podcast, uh, John Golson had a great tweet about him. About Schumacher was one of the filmmakers that when you hear the name of his movie, you can think of like it brings a visual to mind in terms of like a visual style, and uh, I think we'll go into the Batman movies here in a minute, but I think that was definitely something of his movies that they all. They all had their own look, but they were all very signature to his approach to filmmaking. Julio, what are uh, some of your favorite uh Schumacherisms or films that he made?
1: Um, I had have actually answered this question online a couple times because uh, some of our, our podcasting friends that I follow were they were they were the ones breaking the news to me. I I think I spent most of the day not knowing that Joel Schumacher had passed and then they I saw the the prompts for you know, RIP, what's your favorite Joel Schumacher movie? And uh, my gut reaction was to say A Time to Kill, even though I haven't seen it in forever, but I remember watching it and it being, you know, this was a long time ago. Who knows if I would even like it now. I want to hope that I would, but uh, I remember at the time being one of those movies that was as good as I wanted it to be from the trailer. Remember, I think the oh, trailer was the best. Yeah, the trailer looked epic. I didn't know who the fuck uh, Matthew McConaughey was, but he looked like he could carry a movie. Samuel Jackson was on fire. You know, Sandra Bullock looked in. I didn't know who she was either, but she, she looked like. You know, I don't want to say just hot, but she looked like an interesting, like love interest. And then, you know, Christopher Plummer was in it. You know, kind of like starting his run of of playing villains. So it was crazy because it was also one of those movies that it snuck up on me while I was watching how long it was. Because it's like two and a half hours at least. Uh, which I was not expecting at the time from just a, a legal drama. I think that these days you would, but back then you didn't.
0: So uh This was before the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's no it didn't start a franchise either. Uh, and, uh so I would put uh, a time to kill, but honestly, I after I already submitted my answers and I was actually looking through his filmography, I remember I I really liked uh Flawless. It's uh Seymour Hoffman and Robert De Niro. Oh yeah. It's not it's not what you think of when you think Joel Schumacher, because I think you think Batman, you think Lost Boys, <laughs> uh maybe you think Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Wasn't it more of a comedy? It's kind of a comedy, but it's also... You know, it's one of those weird... Like, De Niro plays a cop. I'm pretty sure he's a cop that has a stroke. And I think he is at least mildly homophobic. And Phil Seymour Hoffman plays a drag queen. and But as part of uh, uh, De Niro's therapy to, to get his speech back and everything, I think he needs to learn how to sing. They recommend him singing lessons. And they're neighbors. So I think he, he ends up getting singing lessons from Philip Seymour Hoffman. And... uh and you know kind of like break through at least some of his prejudices uh it's phil Seymour hoffman is robert de niro so they take what could have been really really bad and trickly and make it really good and and schumacher kind of like keeps it all together from what i remember again i haven't seen it in forever but that's that movie had uh i remember watching the trailer i was like nope Pass. This looks like it's <laughs> gonna be a, a disaster. And then eventually, back when I got on my Robert De Niro kick, and I was watching anything that he was in, I finally gave it a shot, and it was it was pretty good. So uh, that's kind of like the B side pick. And you know what? Honestly, I I'll maybe we've talked about this. I'll go to bat for Batman forever.
0: I was I was about to lean into that or segue into that. Um, so I, we, we've had to have talked about this before. I know I've you know gone to. Over the moon about the teaser poster for Batman Forever being one of my all-time favorite movie posters. But was that ninety-five that came out? Yes. Ninety-five, ninety-six. So I would have so been. I was still
1: in high school, so yeah.
0: I would have been eight or nine because Julio's <laughs> old, and uh, that was an event when that movie came out. That was like a happening, as yep. Gorilla Monsoon would say. Uh, I remember, you know. I have them somewhere still much like the street fighter one. They were giving out trading cards. I have like a Robin one from it for opening day. And, uh, the McDonald's had like the special collectors cups and, you know, all the toys and whatnot. And, you know, it's easy to become jaded and look at those movies as being dumb, but they are. But at the same time, watching those movies as a little kid, that's like sensory overload in all the best ways you know this these bright colors these actors that you're vaguely familiar with in my case I was so huge into Ace Ventura as a, a little kid so seeing like Ace Ventura as this ridiculous version of the Riddler uh-huh. and you think about that and then you think about Batman for uh, Batman and Robin excuse me with uh, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy and Arnold as Mr. Freeze, but not just these choices of like wild casting, but like the way those movies look to envision that. And yeah, Batman and Robin, that deserves to be a quote along for like some of the worst dialogue (laughs) ever. But at the same time, when you strip that away, not only just do those movies have a special place in my heart from being a kid and being so excited for them, but like what we had going into that from a film standpoint for Batman was dark and dreary. We had the Tim Burton ones. And then Schumacher not only took it in a whole different direction, but there you could say there's really not been any superhero movies like that that were that just insane, you know, paint splatter type movies where it's just <laughs> like uh, you feel like the whole movie's under a blacklight type thing. Yep. And. If someone like tried to pitch that to a studio today, today they'd be like, what? no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and obviously that was some of the swinging uh, leverage that Schumacher had uh, at the time just due to his name. But you could argue, and I think opinions vary, where people fall on those. Like you said, I, I would definitely go to bat for Batman Forever. I think there's enough, much like this movie, uh, the, the dilemma that we talked about, there's enough parts in it that are good. Uh, while still being able to acknowledge things that fall apart about it. But it, it's just the vision for it deserves its own, I think, recognition. I think uh, the idea behind those movies and what he wanted to do with it is admirable. Whether you think the end result of it is good or not, that's fine. And that's something that will be debated you know, f- for a long time, I assume. Yeah, um, I think
1: that you can uh, you can argue against the vision, but you can't argue against the talent. It was like, well, he executed it, you know the way that he wanted and well mm-hmm. maybe you don't like the end exactly. result like you said but but it's still that that takes this is not oh he didn't know what the fuck he was doing I think no he knew yes. exactly what he was doing <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I, I remember <laughs> Batman Forever was uh, it might have been the first time I had uh, a crowd erupt into applause at the end of a movie and it was <laughs> just when you know they're backlit and it's just a silhouette of Batman and Robin running towards the screen and everybody in the theater fuck just yeah. started like ah, I was like, "Oh, are we supposed That's to do great. this?" <laughs> yeah. The power of Joel Schumacher. Um,
0: yeah, it did not have you know, kinda... Batman. <laughs> uh, I remember just being really confused when that movie was over.
1: I was in a completely different headspace when I watched Batman and Robin, uh, and also I was looking at the releases, the, the release dates, because you know, ninety-five and ninety-seven. And I think a key difference was that I was, uh, I'd gotten back into reading comics by ninety-seven, and it, it's so funny growing up as a kid, my Batman was the Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. So when the Burton movies come out, I'm like, what the fuck? This is like really dark and off-putting. <laughs> and then the Batman Forever comes out. I'm like, all right, this is more like my speed as far as Batman goes. I can appreciate the Burton stuff, but I like this Batman that is funnier and more colorful and all that stuff. Uh, but then when Batman and came out, I've been reading comics for a while and I'm like, yeah, this is not Batman. <laughs> this is just... <laughs> This is just a sitcom. Uh, But still, (laughs) I mean, it's not... But that's not just all he's done. That's the thing. That's what most people will go to because I guess he's...
0: Just what we've talked about has just been kind of scratching the surface. But uh, with what we're able to discuss, just these few movies of his that we obviously, uh, one way or the other, are passionate about, I think it speaks to his ability as a filmmaker. Um, The Lost Boys was... This is the thing I tweeted about. It was... I watched that movie, the made for TV version on like TNT, I think is who owned the distribution rights when I was a little kid. I watched that so much. And, like, to the point where it was one of those that I was so used to that, and that was the only one I had ever seen. By the time I saw the real version of it, some of, like, the violence in it, like, fucking freaked me out. Like, uh, when they feed on the those, like, bikers and throw them on the flames and whatnot. So, that movie is just, like, that, and then, again, Batman Forever are, like, embedded parts of my childhood. And then, of course, becoming older and, you know, some would say I don't have refined taste at all in film, but I'd like to think differently. And then, like I said really getting into Falling Down and some of his other work. Um, you know, we we use a lot of uh, hyperbole on here, but I think he's definitely uh, was a titan of the industry and uh, a heavily influential director and filmmaker.
1: I was going through his filmography just to see how many I watch, and I think I landed on 15. No, that's not true, 12. Which is, I mean, it's not bad, but obviously there's a lot that he made that I wanted to watch. I just never got around to. uh, So, you know, number 23, that's probably the biggest one that I, you know, Jim Carrey being dark and weird directed by Joel Schumacher. And I just somehow I haven't gotten to it phone booth
0: ruled oh yeah phone booth
1: i watched uh and then i know i think it's tigerland the one where the first movie he made with colin farrell which i've always been curious about Uh, the client is supposed to be good i guess tommy lee jones and uh susan sarandon so you know there's plenty of joel schumacher for me to to discover still uh, which is pretty exciting and almost as exciting as finding out as i texted you earlier that he directed the kiss from a rose video (laughs) for batman forever
0: yes which is nuts because i knew he did um the smashing pumpkins the end is the beginning is the end video but the fact that he directed the music videos for both of the smash hits from both of those movies what a fucking legend man
1: r.i.p as they say
0: all right well that was the dilemma rest easy mr schumacher that's going to do it for us here on the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and next time it's edward scissorhands oh boy
1: Things out,
0: short, scared, red heart, lovers, capsize your mind. I got you locked in a blue The Brown eyes, black tongue, long.
1: your cup have your name on it
0: uh it says alexa bliss oh who's
1: a... i just saw the alex part of it and i was like you no. <laughs> egomaniac i do
0: have you seen that mug that i have that's like the office it's my face with a blue star behind it no <laughs> like you know what i'm talking about from the office when they all have those mugs yeah yeah i had a friend who got one of those for me in college
1: that's that's awesome um...